Welcome back, Red Spotters, to Red Spotlight Entertainment. I'm your host today, Alexis J. Soto, joined by Mr. Peter Martinez. And we've got a wonderful show for you here, the podcast that brings you all of the latest stories coming out of the world of movies and, of course, the Oscars. The nominations just came out, and we're going to be going over what we liked, what we didn't like, um, right here and now, as well as reviews for two films, two, actually, one of them, uh, an Academy Award nominated movie now and the other completely ignored but also critically acclaimed the films we'll be discussing today uh, is Lin-Manuel Miranda's directorial debut starring Andrew Garfield it's the adaptation of uh, Jonathan Larson's Tick Tick Boom and then uh, on Netflix and we also have brought to a, being brought to us by Neon it is Pig which is a also a feature debut by I think Michael Sarnarski, um, starring Nicolas Cage, and was considered to be at least Nicolas Cage's performance critically uh, one of the best of the year 2021. So you have those reviews coming your way here on Red Spotlight number 374. Um, before we get into what we saw this week, let me just get this uh, over with real quick. Um, Saba TV, we mention them every now and then. Uh, They released today that Nightmare Alley, uh, which debuted on HBO Max and Hulu just last week. A bit too late for my taste. It would have been helpful. um, During the Oscar race? It would have been helpful during the voting of the nomination Mm -hmm. uh, process. Which, can we just start off with that real quick? First of all, it got got 1.2 million viewers, which isn't all that impressive. But again, you know, I, I believe... We're comparing that to 1.6 for Conjuring, um, and even 1.9 for Dune. So, again, these ratings are relative, and it was only four on the HBO Max side. So, there's no accounting for how much, how many views it got on Hulu. Anyway, with that, I think generally speaking, it's been a positive week for Nightmare Alley because it got some love from the academies, and we'll get to that in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's something that I neglected to put on this list, uh, on my list of things to discuss today, that we should probably address at the top, and that is for all the years that we've been covering award season in the academy, and for all the shit that we've done in their direction. There's actually something we neglected to um, mention, and that is the entire time. Because, of course, you you would think that if you're a member of the Academy, your one job is to vote on these things. And something caught my attention last week when uh, the president of the Academy announced, and they were bragging that they had the highest voter turnout during the nominating process uh, in the history of the Academy. And, and I thought that was such a weird thing to brag about because you just would think that if you're a member of the Academy, you just, you'd vote and there wouldn't be an, it wouldn't be considered an accomplishment that they had a high turnout rate. But it turns out, unbeknownst to even me for all these years of covering the all, you know, in and out the race every year, you're not required to vote for a damn thing if you're a member of the Academy. You, I feel that should be like a requirement to stay a member of the academy. <laughs> I don't know. That's just me. It, it, that on, I shouldn't be surprised at anything these people do anymore, considering all that we know. But that honestly threw me. It's like, wait, you're telling me that at a bare minimum, you're they're not even being held to the standard of voting for anything? That's that's kind of one of the reasons for why you get what you get with them. 
in yeah. terms of what they usually nominate. Shout like, out to Kirsten Dunst. <laughs> the only one yes. that seems to do uh, their homework. The only Academy member in in memory, in any memory that I can recall that, you know, put their name on it and said, I watched all the movies. I actually do my job. <laughs> Imagine if we had an Academy with people like her. I mean, mostly people like her. And yet it is a group of a little less than 10,000 people, mind you. A little less than 10,000 people. God damn. They can't even watch the fucking No! <laughs> How embarrassing. I just... Yeah. So, just wanted to start off, start off with that. Um... Anyway, uh, before we get into the Academy Award nominations, let's go ahead and get into what we saw this week. And this mm -hmm. made, uh, I'm not sure how long it'll take. Some things will take a lot longer, that's for sure. Um, do you have anything off the top for you that you've seen besides the stuff that we'll be reviewing uh, oh. today? Well, if you take away that, I mean. Okay, well, all right. So these are films that I've seen this week that actually one of these or two of these you might have seen so we may have some discussion on this but some of these movies i imagine whenever you do see them we're going to come back and um do reviews on them because they're actually pretty good one of them happens to be the documentary flea the animated documentary or actually the the international an animated documentary animated flea document yeah, yeah. It's 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 kind of a mouthful, but it, it is a foreign film from uh, the country of Denmark, and it is a documentary that is most that yeah, like ninety nine percent animated, uh, and it made history today, uh, being nominated in, for uh, best animated feature, best documentary, uh, and also best international film. Um, the only movie to ever do that. Um, That's pretty crazy, yeah. Yeah, it's really crazy. Um, but it also happens to be pretty great. Um, the story of this movie is deeply depressing. Um, Your favorite. <laughs> deeply depressing. I think that, that yeah, especially in, a, in documentaries, that seems to be my go-to, right? Just deeply depressing uh, subject matter. You know, some of my favorite movies uh, in documentary happen to be Fahrenheit 11.9 and Leaving Neverland and God, what can be more depressing than that? Um, thankfully, this isn't, but it's still, it, it's it's a real human story um, about this family having to, as the film suggests, leave their home. Um, it, it, you see a similar beats in this, although not necessarily all that explored in movies like Encanto um, or Roma, um, but more so even also Belfast, where uh, because of violence that is happening in in their hometown or their home country, they have to leave to you know find refuge. You know refugees, as they say. But this is a um, a real you know life telling of it of this family that was just basically separated because of happenstance, and you know just to get out of the the places that you know were persecuting them and all the things that they had to do. And it's all centered around. Um, our main character here. And I, I, I believe the reason for the prime, one of the primary reasons why it's animated is because the identity of the, of the subject, uh, could not be revealed to protect them, obviously, um, for, well, obvious reasons. Uh, but it is, um, quite powerful and honestly quite moving too. And one of the best movies of this year. And, uh, as it just so happens, as you know, it was nominated today, just this week, it was made available on streaming, uh, on Hulu. For those that want to go see it, so 
I'm also, by the way, not finished, but I'm watching another documentary, another nominee tonight uh, for documentary feature, and that is Summer of Soul. That was the directorial feature by Questlove, and it's basically telling the story of what is known as the Black Woodstock, which it's a big summer music festival that happened at the same time as Woodstock in 1969, and I'd never heard of it. I mean, we all know of Woodstock because it was year, primarily they old. They just really liked music that year, right? Like, what's going yeah. on? But it's a it's it's a story of n- not just exclusively a bunch of artists that came, but it's it's very much the telling of like what it meant to be black in America at that time, why it was so culturally significant for that to happen, and at least to me off the bat, because the first couple of minutes grab you because like I had never heard of this. I had a music class, um, I had a great music teacher, uh, you know her, and there was a great history of all the wonderful. Um, moments in music in american history that was never once brought up at least that i can recall mm-hmm. and that just goes to show you black erasure that's happened all up and down in this country's history so I, are you I, specifically blaming that teacher i'm blaming american um uh curriculum in the public education system <laughs> which by the way is being under is, is under siege right now there it are book burnings is. happening uh-huh. a whole bunch of conservative and republican legislatures from uh or school boards even are going out of their way to ban books such as uh v for vendetta and that's just like how can you get more ironic than that if you watch yeah. v for vendetta <laughs> it's 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 it, it, it's very oh yeah it, it's 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 terrible so yeah it's all that it's happening right now and it's it's so far a really great directed and edited um documentary so i would definitely put both of those movies as must sees um from and both are on hulu so yeah. don't you love it when um they put these movies on streaming it's just so it's so much easier on us that can't go and I find well, these movies. I guess for me because it's like if it's not on streaming, then it might as well just not fucking exist to us because <laughs> there are Cause, literally yeah. no other avenues for like. Yeah, yeah, you're so right. I'm I'm still waiting for Licorice Pizza uh, to at least have a VOD component. Right? It's it's not out yet, and it's been like it it had limited uh, screenings in late November, and we're in early February, and we're still not. Because you still need to see it. Um, and we still need to review it. So, Flea, Summer Soul. Another great film uh, that I don't know where it was. I saw it on, on VOD. Um, this is Come On, Come On. Uh, this is the Joaquin Phoenix film. Um, and this is when we... It is a very I get low-key, breezy kind of film. Like, it's not hyper-intensive. Um, it's very laid back, but it also is very, um, kind of introspective as well. Um, this, uh, journalist basically has to look after his nephew had no kind of very limited prior contact. And it's the, um, this dynamic of somebody who is not used to being around children and having to pick up the slack while his sister is out caring for someone else and, kind of having a few weeks to raise this child as a, as a, like, I think it was a nine or 10 year old. Um, it's a very interesting companion piece to the, to lost daughter with Olivia Coleman, because you can make the the argument of that. Yeah, kind of, because I think both of the films lost daughter and come on, come on, have a very honest portrayal of what it is like to be an adult. (laughs) 
<laughs> will be an adult and having to raise children. And I feel like you can make the argument that both films have a lot of commonality, but they take very different overall, I think, um, they land on different sides of the aisle, shall we say, on whether or not children should be had and everything. I feel you can say. Lost Daughter said, fuck them kids. <laughs> and how many ways can you say it? Lost Daughter found all the ways to say that. Mm-hmm. I, and that's another movie we'll be talking about in the weeks to come. So, I, and, and Joaquin's are, look, Joaquin is a, is a great actor all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, He's a crazy is, person. It's just... I cannot believe that the, the he won the Oscar for Joker of all things. <laughs> what a stupid fucking win, right? Uh, like, but he's also you. He is also a very dynamic performer. Like you wouldn't know he was quote unquote a crazy person by watching this movie. So that's there's that. I also saw Cyrano, um, Peter Dinklage. And a bunch of other people. And this is also an adaptation of a musical from years, years back. When we first saw this trailer, I was like, what is this? I'd never heard of this movie. Um, Peter Dinklage is great in this. I didn't quite care very much for this movie. It started off with a bang. I'll tell you that. Like I was like, okay, this is going to be one of those that I'm going to be so sucked up and invested in. And then it kind of ended in, yeah. It's like, eh. It it ended in the place you thought it would be, but it really didn't, at least from my perspective, didn't have much interesting takes to say. It's by Joe Wright, who I believe also directed a fairly competent, well, a good film, but a good film, um, in com- a good film in in the way that he, the Academy would call it a good film, but not all that original. Um, Darkest Hour with Gary Oldman. Joe Wright is just okay. Yes. Yeah. I've noticed that. There's a couple of films where I'm like, I really like that film, or I really like that film. But the vast majority of his films, I walk away going like, that was fine. Yeah. That was that was okay. Like, yeah. yeah. Sorry. I mean, doesn't gotta be apologize. It's your opinion. Um, I but I feel like that's the general consensus though. Um. Darkest Hour didn't get much of any nominations. I mean, it won because of Gary Oldman. Um, that year, he won Best Actor uh, for playing Winston Churchill. Yeah. It's a real person. It was a good performance. That's half the work, really, <laughs> with the Academy. Um, but again, Peter Dinklage gives a great performance here. But I just – it's it's kind of – it left me disappointed because I would have hoped with – you know, Dinklage leading a movie like this and also it being a musical, you'd think it would have more nuance, more substance. Um, but it just kind of exists, honestly. And it was like, oh, okay. Well, that was that. That's Cyrano. Then I also saw Nobody. This is uh, starring everyone's favorite actor, Bob Odenkirk. I've seen that one. And... It's, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's from the producer or the director of John Wick? I think it was the writer. Or the, or or, no, the producers. I think it was the producers. The producers of John Wick. And it's very much in that same kind of genre, if you could put it in that way. Um, this, was, this was good. This was fun. Um, it's also against type. This is not the role you would expect Bob Odenkirk to play. 
Um, and I think it's just a reminder of how good of an actor he is to be able to make you believe um, every part of this role. Um, I had a good time with it. Uh, the action was pretty entertaining in spaces. Uh, what was his name? Um, it's Doc Hudson. Um, who's the actor that plays him? Doc Hudson. Um, you know, Doc from Back to the Future. I've never heard of that film. Oh, you have never? It's right behind you. <laughs> you have a display behind you of Back to the Future. Uh, or are you talking about the actor? Uh, Christopher yes. Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Yes, yes. Yeah, he was he was fun in this. I To me, that film is a lot of fun. It is! I, uh, it's worth it just to see uh, Bob Oldenkirk and Christopher Lloyd <laughs> just like back to back. Just shooting people, like yeah, I that's worth the ticket alone, as they say. Um, I think it's the best kind of mindless entertainment, and I mean that as a compliment here. Yeah, it's 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 one of those. It, it's a, it's it's, I I don't know if it's two hour. It might be two hours, but it doesn't feel that long. It's to the point. I think it's an hour and a half or an hour yeah. and forty. Yeah, it's. It's a lot of fun, yeah. Yeah, definitely not one of the more bloated. Um, there's no. a lot of bloated movies this year. Yeah, there is. <laughs> People don't know when to like just entertain and then get out, right? They're like, no, I'm making art. It must be pushing three hours. Shut the fuck up. I don't mind, uh, you don't mind either, uh, just long movies, but when every movie gets to be a long movie, then there was an issue. Yeah. That's the thing. When it's all back to back to back. It's it's taken the other side. There's so many movies now, it's like, man, this would be good if it were an hour and a half. <laughs> like, just stop dicking around on shit no one cares about. You tighten right. this script, you got yourself a movie. Yeah. Like, uh, the... the I don't know why I thought of Ghostbusters Afterlife when you said all those things. I know that's by no means the longest movie. I don't even think it's a long movie, but it, it felt long to me because I didn't. I was kind of bored for most of it. And when you're bored to begin with, I think it already feels long. Which I guess that's why people hate Eternals, or a lot of people hate Eternals, because it is a very long movie. And if you're bored from the beginning, well, you're not going to have a good time. That's for sure. Um, yeah, it's there's nothing worse than being boring at a film. Being bored at a film. Because like films are supposed to be great, um, like they can really much like at least for me and you, like they enrich our lives. But when yeah. you're watching something that's just boring, well, then that's not that's the that's worst thing away. a movie can be, right? Like, yeah, it's just the worst thing is when you watch a movie and it ends, and you're like, it's a big fat nothing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you're trying to search for something, like you know, Jurassic, uh, Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom. Ant-Man and the Wasp, those films come to my mind. It's like... More Ant-Man and the Wasp, because Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, it does get really stupid. That's true. To the point where it's like, this is laughably The ending is broken. funny. The beginning is kind of tough to get through. Yeah. I Whereas, mean, when their whole thing is like, we're gonna sell... <laughs> our weapon is a is a raptor that you gotta, you gotta point a little laser at, like a cat, and then they'll follow the laser and attack it. Isn't that the Jurassic World, not not Fallen Kingdom? Oh, f yeah, Fallen Kingdom. I thought that's yeah. what we were talking about. No, we're talking about Fallen Kingdom, not Jurassic oh. World. I, th I thought you were talking about came from Jurassic World, not Fallen Kingdom. 
I was talking about Fallen Kingdom. I was talking about Fallen Kingdom. Yeah, me too. Okay. Then I don't remember that movie. <laughs> I don't remember that scene in that movie. <laughs> remember? That was the whole thing? They had that like evil raptor creature. Oh, at the end of the movie. Yeah, where they're, they're okay. auctioning it off. And the okay. way that it worked was you would point a fucking laser beam at someone and then it'll follow the laser beam and kill them like a cat. Um, you know how you point a laser yeah, <laughs> yeah. cat? And it's like, how is this more efficient than a gun? <laughs> if you're close enough to me that you can point a little laser beam at me, I can shoot you. I don't know. It's a stupid yeah. fucking movie. What were it we is. talking about? What were we talking about? Um, uh, okay, N- then what we saw. Nobody. Was... Good. Nobody. Good. Yeah. A lot of fun. Next one. You you you've also seen this. Sing two. This movie. Um, okay. I didn't think you would take me seriously. You didn't see it? Well, I saw it. So I said I, I saw it because uh-huh. I saw the trailer. That was the joke. Oh, well, you know, I can't, I can't get your sarcasm off a text message unless you make it obvious. And that need, didn't make it obvious. You need to just know me by now. I, I, well, um, okay. Uh, so I saw this movie. Um, I didn't watch the first one. I have not seen an Illumination movie since Minions back in 2015. I didn't see that in theater. I saw it at home. And Minions is one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, it was just downright terrible in every way imaginable. Seeing two, I I could tell from the trailer. I mean, we did see the movie, yes, entirely from the trailer. Yeah. But it's not hard to see why it's been so successful, aside from just it having the Illumination name on it. People really do become quite obsessed with this like American Idol voice competition style like story and then just fun performances on the screen. And when you put animals with singing, it's but that's like, what makes it more d- disgusting to me, right? Like it feels <laughs> like yeah. it's like it's an algorithm, right? It like is. people yeah. like cute animals. Uh-huh. They love their singing competitions. Like everything from the There's humor. a show right now called The Masked Singer. Oh for God's my sakes. God. So fucking insane. Um, everything just feels like it was thrown into a corporate blender of like, right. what, do, what do people like? Mm-hmm. And then it, it shout out Sing and Sing 2. Yeah, and Sing 2 um, was the only other movie that was making any kind of money. Uh, besides Spider-Man, the last two months, um, here at the box office, and and this is actually quite extraordinary. Now, it could have to do with the fact that Disney decided to put Encanto on Disney Plus only thirty days after it, it, you know, debuted in theaters. Sing Two ran laps around Encanto at the box office. That I never thought I'd see. That is just... I mean, I knew it would be like big, big. And I I have to imagine them, Disney, putting the film on Disney Plus, which, by the way, I don't think they regret in the least because it blew up. It It did blow up. I would say Encanto, because it's on Disney Plus, became much more of a culturally significant film than Sing 2. That being said, Sing 2 
was hugely successful and it's still making money even though the film is already available on pvod but that's what annoys me because it, it's it sort of reminds me of the um the live action disney remakes right yeah they come out make fuck tons of money and then no one cares about them right because who's talking about sing 2 nobody no one gives a shit about sing 2 no but apparently someone went to go see it Right. Yeah, it's a lot the, of people went to go see it. It's the same with the live action remakes. Yeah, people are like, "Oh my god, my childhood!" They go and see it, and then they never talk about it again. And that, to me, is all the evidence you need to know that those films are fucking crap. Yeah, that that they have zero cultural staying power, mm-hmm. like any. Two weeks after they're released, boom! No one, no one, t- no one talks about the the live action Lion King or Aladdin or any of it anymore none uh-huh. of it same well there's sing. nothing to, there ain't nothing to say um sing 2 though is interesting because it did not receive an oscar nomination today but it was getting nominated literally everywhere else um and all the precursors um i saw this film and i have to say with you i have to tell you um i'm a sucker for this kind of stuff mm-hmm. i really am um and it's so lazy. It's so like it's probably the most basic film I've seen in a very long time. It's so and overly telegraphed. You can tell yeah. from the trailers. Like this they is what it try. is and that's yeah. all it is. They don't even try. But somehow I like this. <laughs> all right, I'm ending this call. I'm done. We're done professionally. <laughs> You're cutting ties with me? Yeah. I, I, you're gonna you're gonna move over to what uh, fantasy fair podcast? This is your Joe Rogan moment, okay? Oh fuck! The, off. the fantasy fair is removing all the episodes <laughs> where you were in the uh, a part of the, the 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 discussion. No, listen, listen. I didn't love this, but I did like this, and I'll tell you why I like this. Okay. The tell third me. act. The cute the third, No, the third act. They actually came up with some weird weirdly entertaining set pieces for the performances in this like talent show that they come up with in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. And the humor at times is actually pretty good. And the, but the characters, they're not characters. The writing is non-existent and what it's reaching for is not even um, middle of the road. I think right beneath it. And so it doesn't really have to do much because it's not aiming to do much. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the things that people feel about this, I feel about it too. But I came away with it enjoying it because, hey, I got some good covers out of it. These people can sing. And this was a pretty like fun, entertaining talent show within the, the context of the film. And it worked all right. So there are worse things I could see. Fuck you. Fuck you. <laughs> I didn't pay to see it. I, I don't care. <laughs> I still... <laughs> Fuck you. We need to have you see it um, and then get your review. I it. did see it. I saw the trailer. That's the you film see, right there. I mean, there. to see the whole runtime, not just the trailer no, of the no. film. No. Uh, it probably wouldn't be anywhere near as hilarious as your reaction to Cruella. Oh, my God. That film. But can you say at least with Cruella? People are talking about Cruella, though. Not in uh, probably. Not in like. At least some, because of how weird it was. But it was also the last one to come out. I don't know. I guess that's, you're right, I guess. 
it it gets by on being like fake rebel you know <laughs> got a golden globe nomination got oscar nomination for so costume did, so did suicide squad i don't give a shit <laughs> that don't mean anything Pete's- it won it fucking won it won yeah it won for makeup, right? Wasn't it makeup? In the, in the Suicide Squad got nothing. <laughs> I think that that's the ultimate test of which was the better film. Suicide Squad won an Oscar. <laughs> the Suicide Squad couldn't get nominated for shit. You know, we should probably think about doing a show of um, what the worst winners have been. Uh, at least in the years that we've been watching. But, uh, I mean, last week you had me, like, speechless because you reminded me that Bohemian Rhapsody literally won the the award. And I'm not, I don't even mean for acting, but for editing. <laughs> That's fucking terrible. Like, of all things, they it's just... These people don't watch the movies. They don't. Yeah. Which, you know, the reason... Yeah, we'll get into all that. But, anyway... So I saw that. So as far as TV is concerned, so Hulu is a really great service. Um, they have a lot of great classic sitcoms on there, and I just recently rewatched all of the episodes they had available for I Love Lucy on there. I am somewhat miffed, though, that... And even if you have Paramount+, Plus, it'll make a damn difference because of the Desilu rights and everything. There are a lot of episodes that just are not available on streaming. Like, a lot of really good episodes. So... If you do want to watch I Love Lucy on Hulu, just understand it's not the complete um, six seasons. There are episodes from each of the six seasons, but it ain't the whole thing. And so some of my favorite episodes of the show are is the the um, the whole time they're on the road in between New York and Hollywood. And that entire part of the story was just completely skipped. Um, and there were some great episodes in between that. Um, so, but also if you're on Hulu and if you liked being the Ricardos and if you liked, um, I love Lucy, Amy Poehler is going to have a new documentary out next month, um, about the, um, the dynamic between, uh, Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball. That'll be interesting. You know what? I, I'm, I'm mistaken. Not Hulu. Mm. Amazon Prime is going to have the documentary out. Not Hulu. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Because the Dean Ricardos is on Amazon Mm -hmm. Prime. Yes. Prime video. So look for that out. And then I've also, um, I've uh, got back to seeing Golden Girls. Classic. Finally. What has it been? A month? A year. Oh. A year. And then Peacemaker, um, which continually gets better every week. And I think there was one tweet. There were several tweets. But one of the tweets um, that I saw this week in response to the show was uh, James Gunn fucking me up with, like, the song choices he makes. Again, like, he has – I don't think there's anyone better than him that knows how to pick a song for what, you know, he wants to get across with a sequence or a scene. Because the the song particularly, I think it's called Monster by Reckless Love that was featured last week where um, I believe it's one of the the police officers that's basically invading the entire unit with her like butterflies. It's the song that plays over that sequence. And it's so good. It is so good. I've been humming it and singing it. It's so good. While the white supremacists gear up. Oh, that's right. Yes. <laughs> All the white trash. 
Yes. And I, yeah. I think I said last episode, I was like, ooh, I bet you uh-huh. it's going to be at the same time. No, Shit's exactly. going to hit the fan. Yeah. I, I thought of what you said mm-hmm. uh, when, I, when I saw it in real time. I was like, oh, damn, Peter was right. It's happening exactly how he said it would. Especially with, uh, what's his name? Um, putting on the suit. Yeah. The white dragon. And do you watch the, the like, previews for next episode? Do they happen at the end of the... You gotta, like, have previews? you gotta click on them. No, I don't. It's like, you know, like five seconds, like, on the next episode. Of... The only time I've done that was with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Of <laughs> I think course. When it was airing, but no, no, I haven't seen the um, They show him flying around in the the white dragon. And, Do they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, like, shit. He does... He like sh- shooting blasters and shit with it. Uh huh. Um, it's. I'm very excited for these last two episodes. It's gonna be great. And you know what? I I like that they're on Thursdays because yeah. Wednesdays I'm disappointed for other reasons. For other reasons. <laughs> yeah. And then Thursday, it's a pick me up. You know, it really is. Honestly, I cannot believe we're already. Oh, with only two episodes left, like where did this go? Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, I feel like we were just talking about it. Maybe because like they debuted the first three episodes. Yeah, the first week, three. So yeah. that's why it feels like it's happening so fast. But um, no, I really do love this group. Um, you know, you have that just that, and I think it was Houston Collie that pointed this out on Twitter. Just the fact that there was this whole sequence where everything stopped, and we had John Cena actually perform on the piano in a real emotional moment, like. We're talking about the comic book genre. Like, no one else is even trying to do anything like that. We can't have any, everything stop just for an emotional moment or a connection. See, if it was Star Wars, it'd be like, oh my god. That was... That's the piano from the 1989 Batman film you see in the corner of, of Wayne Manor. What does this mean? By the way, happy 90th birthday to John Williams. Yeah. That's crazy. You old fuck. 90 fucking years old. That's crazy. Uh, but you're so right um, about all of that. I uh, some You know, smaller details, aside from it having, like, its own, like, opening intro with uh, Do You Want to Taste It? The aspect ratio is traditional television, like the full screen of it. It's not, yeah. like, made to look like, you know, a movie, like a lot of the MCU shows are the, so hell bent on doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I like widescreen. 16 screen. by 9. I like widescreen, um, but not all the time. I do like, I think it was Ryan Johnson mentioned this in his audio commentary with Knives Out years ago that, you know, mostly everyone just does the same standard widescreen now. And so part of his inspiration to make um, for the aspect ratio of Knives Out, which is closer to what you see with um, Peacemaker here, where it's just the full screen of it, um, was to just like give it. It was the easiest thing you could do to make it look different than every other movie that's playing. So I, I think the main reason people do it is because it's like, oh, it looks cinematic. You know what the I mean? The widescreen, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because that that because widescreen aspect ratio is commonly historically associated with cinema, mm-hmm. and the full screen is more with television. Yeah, that's why. Um. Okay, so you're saying that Wednesdays are bad. Yeah. Can I just say that when we were talking last week, I honestly don't know why I'm surprised, but last week we really dug in hard 
with how much we really dislike to hate um, what Star Wars has become, especially on Disney Plus, right? You, you we, know what's really funny? It feels like Star Wars heard and said, fuck you. Yep. And that F you was in the risk. <laughs> it was the episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because, um, like, I think last week we were like, this is the worst yet. And they basically were like, hold my beer. Yeah. Because the worst was yet to come. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Last week's episode of this, which was a Mandalorian episode, not really a Boba Fett episode, but I guess it's all the same now. Was it even a Mandalorian episode? It was like a... Well, I mean, last week, I I don't mean this one. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, that one was a Mandalorian episode. This one... That one, yeah. That one was a load of nothing. This week was also a load of nothing, but there were a lot of pretty bad somethings involved that somehow was even worse. Mm-hmm. Somehow was even worse than what came before. Um, everyone saw this and everyone was talking about this. And I have to say, like, I feel like everything you and I said last week about what the response usually is like... Um, was 100% accurate to a T because it wasn't even an hour after the thing, you know, debuted on Disney Plus, which is at midnight on Wednesday, uh, Wednesdays. And the first thing I see is a fan saying, Staggering. What an achievement. <laughs> can I, can I, Star Wars fans are fucking weird, man. Like they're I would a little say bit stupid. Insane. Can I just say stupid? I don't even feel bad about saying it. I'm just gonna say stupid and dumb and lame and boring. Because like every week, I'm blown away about how good Peacemaker is. Really enjoy it. Really like it. And I see, you know, there's not a lot of tweets about Peacemaker, but you know, people tweet like, "Oh yeah, that was so great. I'm really loving Peacemaker." Maybe they'll say like my favorite DC show, but like, no one goes to the like with star wars no one's like a triumph the the greatest single hour of comic book television ever created nothing and i mean nothing will ever ever compare to this mesmerizing beauty that was peacemaker episode six like no one does that like it's a little fucking weird. I don't even remember Marvel people doing that so much, right? With like everyone's always like, "Oh man, this episode was so cool." Did you see how we like they're annoying with the whole like um fucking like uh oh look at this cameo or look at this Easter egg, but no one's like this is the single greatest thing ever done <laughs> ever put to the face of the earth. You all like, it. but then for some reason, Star Wars fans will be like here's just a lineup of characters that you know and and now you're looking at them and and they're like ready to to declare it the next jesus christ it's so fucking weird it's so weird to me no um you're right um you're 100 percent right and um I'm just trying to look here in the, during the past week. I'm trying to look at all the. Um, oh, are you looking for all the the tweets the reactions, the right? Reactions. Um, I'm just going to read some that I that here's this one person. I cannot believe what I just watched. That's everything a Star Wars fan can ask for. Just wow. Um, 
Josh Gad even tweeted out, that was one of the best Star Wars anythings I've ever witnessed with my, with my eyeballs. Um, <laughs> agreed. Somebody actually re- replied to him, agreed, period, historic, period. <laughs> I start like I this is why people hate Star Wars fans I'm sorry <laughs> they're so yeah. fucking weird I uh, Matt Ramos that was the greatest thing I've ever witnessed I, like it's not enough to just like something they can't just be like I liked this episode it has to be greater than the birth of their child like cory cory van dyke best 45 minutes of tv ever speechless you're speechless i'm speechless because there's nothing to say about the fucking episode (laughs) i think there's something to say in the negative oh yeah but not, not not like about it like what is there to discuss about like no nothing the characters or so like i i do want to like or, or do you have more to read? Or um, real quick before we get to the to the, yeah, yeah, to yeah. the particulars, mm-hmm. uh, Grace Randolph. You know we have a hilarious relationship with that uh, personality. I I, right? I I love her. He hates her. No, I think you and I have a lot of uh, enjoyment in watching her content. Um, I think she's great. Yes, she's very funny. F- for and not that we agree with her takes very much. So I disagree with a lot of what she says, and this is no exception. When she said that this hour of television or this hour of star wars she was even saying that it this is the best star wars has ever been she pretty explicitly said like it's better than the original trilogy yes which (laughs) what the fuck i don't i don't get it i don't get it like because i and and like i said i i i like to look at the reactions one it's very funny but two I do try and understand, like, okay, where are these people coming from? But every time they give a reasoning for why they liked it, it's just like, uh, Luke and Ahsoka. What are, the, what, what are the reasonings? It's just that, oh, because it had this character. Yeah. Oh, like, because it referenced this. That's all they say. That's, that's literally all they it. Say. That's it. They don't talk about the story or, or the characters or really any, because that's there's no story. There's no character. It's just... I don't know. Like, there's another, and this is the thing. I'm <sighs> even if it was done well, I probably wouldn't be that crazy about it. Because, uh-huh. like I've said, it's a different kind of Star Wars. I view Star Wars very differently than a lot of people do. Other yeah. people do, but there is ways to still, even if it's not my stars, you can still win me over by just being good, right? Mm-hmm. By telling, comparing. Uh, compelling and fun stories like though i know everyone lost their shit about like uh what's his name cad bane being in it yeah i'm not mad because cad bane is in the show i Thank was you one, for pointing that out yeah i'm one of the people that kept saying i want to see cad bane yeah in in anything like in a show whatever what i'm mad about is he's nothing like this was nothing <laughs> if you're gonna do a boba fett show he should have dropped in at the end of the first episode, maybe the mm-hmm. second, because you want to develop his character along with Boba's character yeah. and the rivalry that go. Because people are going to be like, oh, my God, it's going to be so awesome. 
the Boba Fett Cad Bane showdowns going down in this finale. Why is that awesome? I, I if if you're just watching this show, Cad Bane just showed up and first you don't even know his fucking name. Is he's just a a cowboy guy. Yeah. That showed up for two seconds at the end. If you didn't watch Clone Wars, well, why the fuck would you care? Yeah. It, like, like there's nothing to it. There's nothing. And what's annoying is there could be something. Because yeah. even, he even says a line where he's like, you know, Boba Fett's not the good guy he pretends to be. He, he did a, a bunch of dirty work for the Empire. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's like, why didn't you make this show about that then? <laughs> Why didn't you make the show about him being an utter and complete piece of shit? And then when he gets like crawls his way out of the pit, maybe because you know how people have like come. uh, There's like people that are in like gangs and then they have like a near death experience and then they have like a come to Jesus moment. Yeah. You could have done that with Boba Fett. Like you could have had something compelling with that. And then. And then you throw in Cad Bane, who's this sort of like demon from his past catching up with him. And he's trying to be like, nah, I'm a changed man. And Cad Bane's like, no, me and you, we're the kind of people that can't change. And like, this is just the way it's got to be. Right. Like that would be a story. That would be a story. That would be interesting. (laughs) I would be, I I would be one of those people like, fuck yeah. Let's see. Let's see the Boba Fett Cad Bane showdown. Like, yeah, fun. Yes. Star Wars. Mm -hmm. But like. This is nothing like, like, yeah, I think it's important for people to understand, as you were saying off the top there, because I I am sure there are a lot of people who would think and listen to this conversation at some point, like, how can they, how could they on, on what earth does somebody who claims to be a fan of Star Wars absolutely loathe and make no mistake, I loathe and hate everything that happened in this episode. Yeah. To uh, probably even greater lengths than it was the last time. The last week, I mean, of this show. But a lot of Star Wars fans would be asking themselves, how could you possibly hate all of these wonderful characters showing up, especially... Well, let me tell you this. Especially if you're like you're a fan of the Clone Wars, which I am. Why why can't you be so moved and like be happy that this happened? Let me tell you this. It actually is even worse for me. The fact that I love characters like Ahsoka and Cad Bane um here because um first as you say there was nothing to them as far as presence is concerned also this was not the place for this and that's actually one of the the biggest takeaways out of this episode is that this didn't even feel like an episode of a television season it really felt like a star wars special because it was crazy how, like, it was literally, like, one after the other after the other, just random cameo, and now we're spending a certain amount of time with them in this location, which is completely removed from, forget Boba Fett, but for what came before it. Like, nothing in this episode, as far as, like, the, the locations and the and the characters and the cameos, were connected in any way whatsoever. It was, like, the most random thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, and I don't see how this is worth getting excited over. And that moment, the way it was filmed anyway, um, with Cad Bane and his debut in the live action, it is kind of insulting to me 
how wonderfully that is filmed and how it how good it looks mm-hmm. but it's ruined ultimately for me because it means nothing it means absolutely nothing it it's there because they thought wouldn't this be cool and now let's move on to something else it's it's the same thing with Luke. Luke Luke just exi- like there's nothing interesting going on with Luke's character for him to keep showing up. It it's, was awful. It's just an opportunity to just have everyone go like, "Oh my god, that's the Luke I know. That's the Luke I grew up with." But it's like, but is he doing but it's anything? Not, is there anything it, interesting with his? No, yeah. like there's nothing to him. And like, th- I I like all these characters and i think you're finally on uh, i don't want to say finally because you'll get offended but i fuck you i'm saying finally i think you're finally on a similar page to me that like they really fucked ahsoka's character like i was getting there with you after what happened um i think for me the first real uh uh-oh was mando season two yeah this yeah i mean yeah you're 100% right and it's not it, it doesn't even it's not it's not uh limited to her it's also somebody else pretty massive too. Yeah. That was fucked here. Um but but it, like her whole thing is like well the Jedi order says you can't have attachment. Like bitch you you, you walked away from the Jedi order because of this bullshit and you're here going like now Luke you have to follow the Jedi Order. Like, what are you doing? Who are you? I I don't recognize these characters. No. Not at all. And, like, to me, attachment, I maybe it's because, like, I'm a fucking Catholic. To me, I always assumed attachment was, like, you couldn't get married. You couldn't fuck or, like, some shit like that when they talked mm-hmm. about attachment. Because right. the Jedi, especially in the prequels, they were friends with each other. Yes, they had they, they attachments. Had, they had very close connections with each other. They would call each other friends. They loved yes. they loved each other, right? And to me, that's kind of the um quote unquote attachment going on between Baby Yoda and Luke. Uh, or Mando. And Mando, right? Like it it's <laughs> clearly not lovers. Um it's 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 a friendship, right? Right. That, that yeah. they've sort of developed. So it's weird to go like, you know, you can't you can't have attachments. You can't be attached to the. It's it's so strange, especially to hear that coming from Luke, Luke that's supposed to be just hot off. Like it's insane to me that people will go like, Luke would never uh, turn his back on his nephew. Look at how he saved his dad, right? But th- there's so much implied uh within the last jedi that shows how his fear of failure and um the weight of the galaxy on his shoulders and all of that really really pushed him to uh question will push him towards fear and fear of course leads to the dark side in, in, in little ways like that so it's like okay i got it i get it right and sort of his resentment of his whole thing of like i grew up um admiring the jedi and then mm-hmm. i succeeded and i became this world-renowned jedi and then afterwards i learned what the jedi are about and i'm like whoa like i don't really agree with this and mm-hmm. now he's stuck in a, between a rock and a hard place where it's like do i continue the jedi order even if i don't agree with some of the bad things they've done 
right? And it's him just not understanding he needs to learn from the mistakes and, you know, all of that. Okay, like, to me, I get that. But him, what is this, like, five years after turn Is it ten? Five? And um, he's just like, you can have no attachments. What? That's so fucking weird. I don't know. I, I, what, I, it's a really warped reading of it, even in the context of how the, it was presented in the prequels. And I really have to wonder, where the fuck is that coming from? Because Filoni wrote a lot of the stuff in the Clone Wars, and I don't understand what's happened to him. I feel like he's getting becoming a, a worse writer as he goes on, and I don't know if it's the influence from Favreau, but something is <laughs> like wrong it's gotta here. Got to be Favreau, because Favreau writes some shit episodes. Um, he writes all of the episodes, and one of, part of what's really pissing me off here is he's written every single episode this season. But for whatever reason, people have decided that Robert Rodriguez is to blame. For why the first four episodes were nothing. Because <laughs> he's them. he's their god and savior. Him and him and uh, and John Favreau and uh, Dave Filoni. Even though I they produce, I, I don't even want to say it's bad. It's just nothing. Just nothing. Star Wars. It's the most hollow Star Wars. Because even the prequels. Lucas's heart, I think, shines through a lot of it. It does, yes. It um, does. Here, as hard as it may be, sometimes it does. He at least has a point of view. You he know has what I a mean? Point of view, yeah, yeah. And vision, yeah. Ambition uh, and here, meaning, it, purpose, all those things are there. The only ambition is to show you things that you've already seen, and just be like, "Look, this is Star Wars. Remember, this is also Star Wars." Oh my god! Um, in just a few hours, the finale is gonna happen. Yeah. Um, do you want to take predictions? Because I had predicted that I is I don't I think I was wrong in my prediction that Luke will will go in because. But you know well, why? One I, of your predictions was that Boba was gonna ride the Rancor. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. That's happening. It has Still? to. Still. Okay. Yes. Okay. If it doesn't happen, then what the fuck was the point of that whole scene? With him, like going, like, what was I the want point of anything? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Fuck, I don't know. But um, <laughs> the only reason I said I think Luke would write in and help is because I knew for a fact that they were going to show Luke again because I knew they couldn't help themselves. Like that was the whole thing. But I, d- I didn't even think they would go this far, where they no. would just stop doing a Boba Fett show. Yeah. And then just go off, just fuck off and do some other thing. Like, I, even I didn't think they would go that far, where they would just... No. We're, we are no longer a Boba Fetch. That's insane to me. So, um, but For I think... For two weeks in a row. I, it feels like this whole exercise, this whole whatever this is, Boba Fett show, um, I feel like it almost exists just to make it so we see... Um, the reason why Baby Yoda or Grogu uh, is there, um, episode one in The Mandalorian season three. Because I think his whole decision yeah. is going to be like, I choose to be a Mandalorian. And Which, then, it- uh, yeah, from a storytelling perspective, that's one of the things I hate and that particularly pissed me off. Um, just in principle, when you do this, right? Because you, you like, if you're a fan of the Mandalorian, but you're not watching Boba Fett, wouldn't you feel pretty like cheated if you missed out on like huge moments in these characters happening elsewhere? That's not part of the show. 
it's like that um last episode of Loki. Which yeah, yeah. The whole show stopped and it was something else entirely. Um the last episode of if you just watch The Mandalorian, the last episode of Mandalorian season two is him tearfully saying goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah. He even took off his mask. It's a huge emotional moment. And then episode one's gonna open up with like, all right, we're back. <laughs> I guess that meant nothing. Cause think about it. The first season is about like I gotta get him away from the Empire. Second season is I gotta get him to the Jedi. And then the third is like, well never mind, he's just with me now. Like I <laughs> That's so, and oh, and then of course setting up the season three, which I think I called from before we even had a trailer for the Mandalorian, uh-huh. is gonna be uh, retaking Mandalore. <sighs> uh, let me read this real quick, because um, I mean, I I'm just too dis. I'm not, I'm just sad, but I'm, I'll just read this to get up. This is from uh, Gavia Baker Whiteclaw on Twitter, and she wrote a piece for Daily Bot, uh, a recap of this episode, which uh, she called a painful misuse of an iconic character. Um, this is what she said. Traditional Jedi training requires children to be separated from their families, something the movies depict in an ambivalent light. Sure, the old Jedi Order produced plenty of great heroes, but its restrictive mindset also led to Anakin's downfall. In later generations, we see Luke and Rey flourish while embracing their emotions, debunking the idea that Jedi must forgo all attachments. This makes the Luke-slash-Grogu subplot doubly baffling, because Luke is suddenly portrayed as a harsh taskmaster to a toddler. The Last Jedi hinted that Luke was a flawed mentor, at this point in his life, struggling with the pressure of rebuilding the Jedi Order alone. However, this Boba Fett episode portrays him in a uniquely negative light, to the point where he's almost unrecognizable. In the original Star Wars trilogy, Luke evolved from a whiny teenager into a seasoned warrior, tempered by a wry sense of humor, a passion for adventure, and a freely expressed love for his friends. He's powerful yet goofy and likable, qualities that a CGI mannequin can't express. Above all, though, Boba Fett's version of Luke is just thoughtlessly unpleasant. During an extended training montage, Luke puts uh, puts Grogu through his paces, meditation, athletic exercises, and being attacked by a flying droid. It's the kind of stuff Luke did when he was 20, but Grogu is literally a baby, Due to his unusually long lifespan, Grogu belongs in a preschool for the next 50 years. In that context, Luke's methods feel inappropriate and cruel. Do you want to talk about that real quick? Um, we talked about this. Even that training scene, which could have been used to like do new interesting stuff and do some interesting character work. Like, <laughs> I don't mean to bring it up, but the way we <laughs> saw in The Last Jedi, like those uh, Luke's lessons... Right. Genuinely interesting. You got a lot of interesting character stuff, learned a bunch of point of views, pushed the characters and the story forward, and it was new ways of training. Um, yeah. Which was this is they literally just copied every training that you saw in the original trilogy, even mainly when it, Empire. Mainly Empire, even when it didn't make sense. 
why is there physical training where, of course, Grogu isn't doing anything because he's a fucking baby, and it's just Luke running around and doing hops. And, like, the whole point of that in Empire is that Yoda is training training him. him. And that's why he is doing the physical labor. And and to me, what was great about that is Yoda's showing, testing him, or trying to show him that it's not about, you know, your physical your physicalness, um, I don't think that's a word. Physicality. Physicality. Um, it's your mental uh, determination. Capacity. And strength. Yeah. Like, that's where it's going to come. And he was doing that by, through pushing him physically, he was strengthening strengthening him mentally. Because remember, he was like, oh, I can't do anything. Like, he, that whiny, he was a whiny bitch at that time. Um, and that was sort of the lesson. And here it's like, well, why is he doing it, right? Because Grogu's the one that's supposed to be learning. How is he learning just watching him do backflips? Because it's that thing from Empire, but it's, remember, it's, it, remember, remember when he did this? Remember how he had Yoda in his back? Well, now he has Grogu on his back. Remember, remember, they even remember, do the exact remember. same flip. The same fucking flip. And then, yeah, it's like having the little ball shooter thing. Like, he's a baby. Like, I, how about he learns to talk first? Because that's another thing. Like, they want to pretend, like, they they want to have it both ways. He's a tiny little uh, precious baby that can't do nothing. Or he's, like, semi-adult that has a understanding of everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. If that were true, why can't he even fucking talk? He hasn't even said a word yet. He just makes baby Goo Goo Gaga noises. Which tells me, mentally, he is a baby. Like, I, this is, <laughs> it's basically fucking child abuse. Like, it's so weird. Well, you know, that moment where, well, actually, I'll go right here. At one point, he even forces Grogu to have a flashback to the destruction of the Jedi Temple when all of Grogu's caregivers were murdered. You'd expect Luke to apologize for bringing up such a painful memory, but instead, the show treats it like a normal flashback scene, with Luke advising a student that, the galaxy is a dangerous place. Yeah, like that's it. And he's the one that instigates him having that flashback. And what's it's insane to again, I guess that's the kind of lines and shit you have to do when you don't actually have an actor who can actually do a performance, just like someone with a stoic face. But uh-huh. like the Luke in that time period would probably be apologetic. Right. And be like, you know, I'm I'm sorry for having you relive that you know um you know i heard stories but i had no idea what it was like at that time um or you know just just a a bond a bonding moment but it's really hard to bond when you have two puppets and the one that's a foam baby alien is the one that's able to emote the most you know what i mean yeah like that is how how do you do anything with this? And the answer is you don't. Clearly. The thing is, that th- to me, it also serves no purpose. Like everything yeah, else serves not. no purpose because what ultimately is shown here, what you are shown is what was already laid out in detail in that episode where Ahsoka made her debut in Mando season two. Oh, that he was in, uh, on the Jedi temple, in the Jedi temple in the, in the, during the Clone Wars and he, they got him out. While Order 66 was happening. We already knew that. This scene provides no new information. All it does is show a flashback to something we already knew happened. 
But look at the reaction in Star Wars fans. Like, we saw live action Order 66 again. Can you believe that? And that's why, and you know what? That's why that flashback exists. Yeah. To go yeah. like, badass. We're supposed to look at this fucking baby's trauma and go, badass. Oh my God. You see how they're like, pew, 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 the Jedi. Oh my gosh. It's just the weirdest emotional reactions that are expected, right? Like, yeah. like it. Uh, <laughs> and then you told me that the that the the, the Twilic lady, who yeah. I guess runs a casino, I guess she died. She yeah, she got blown up. Did that happen in like two seconds? Because yeah. I don't even remember. I don't remember the movie. the 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 show was moving, you know, from you know location to location. Oh. It like happened quick, and then we moved on. How embarrassing! I it, it's it's fucking embarrassing. Later on, Ahsoka praises Luke's teaching process, which makes her look bad as well. <laughs> Unlock. Unlike the vibrant hero of the Clone Wars series, she's now an instructable figure who nods wisely in the background. Huh? But but this is the thing. You know what Ahsoka would do? Ahsoka would get in his face and go, these are all the reasons why I left the Jedi Order. Yeah. I I loved your dad. He was like a father to me, you know, and he was a friend. Um, you remind me so much of him, which he, uh, she does say. That's all she says is so much like your father smiles and then walks off screen. But this is the thing. She could say that and she's like in, in the good ways and the bad, right? Like if you continue down this path, we've saw what that leads to. Like your job is to be different, create a Jedi order. That's better. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that's interesting. That's some because you know why? Because you have one character over here and another character over here, and then there's like conflict between them, and that's something we don't like get in this show. Anytime there's a hint of conflict, it's immediately squashed. Yeah, like like even with the Boba Fett episodes, like Boba Fett conflict with uh, uh Shand. black black uh, Wookie squashed oh, yeah yeah boba fett conflict with um the fucking newsies you know yeah squashed there's no like power struggle it doesn't have to be a literal power struggle but just like sort of a back and forth of like you don't know what you're doing blah 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 between him and fennec yeah just something nothing squashed like she just chooses to follow him like she's he's a i don't fucking know and it's so boring there's nothing yeah. like again we're at the finale what is this story about i guess he's gonna take on the pikes but we have so little understanding of who or what the pikes are i guess they're scary there's no reason to care why whatsoever. do i why do i care I, yeah. yeah and then even he even had that whole thing of like i'm tired of being sent out on jobs where you people are too stupid they don't give a shit about people like us that was one part of one conversation mm-hmm. in six episodes of television and everything else around it had nothing to do with that uh exchange and dialogue but what doesn't help is he's stupider than everyone around 
<laughs> Jabba was a much better mob boss than <laughs> I. Uh... Okay, let me finish. Let me. Well, let me go on to the next yeah, part. Um, the show doesn't fully endorse Luke's attitude. After all, we're predisposed to sympathize with Din Djarin, who wants to reunite with Grogu. However, it's hard to believe that writer John Favreau meant Luke to come across this badly. The most charitable explanation is that Luke is already sowing the seeds of his own failure by recreating the flaws of the old Jedi Order. That's a common interpretation of his life during this period in canon. But while that makes sense on a macro level, it doesn't explain his personal behavior. This version of Luke Skywalker is dull, strict, and unlikable, a totally different personality to his depiction in the movies. His main traits here are being a humorless and mean to a toddler. An especially wild move considering the fact that Ben Solo is about four years old at this point, so while we can excuse a certain amount of misguided teaching philosophies, Luke has at least met a toddler before. And then the overall consensus with this piece, at this point, it's hard to deny the pointlessness of this show. After four weeks of f failing to give Boba Fett a coherent personality or arc, we segued into a standalone chapter of The Mandalorian, followed by an extended fan service cameo for Luke Skywalker. And while fan service is, is an accurate term here, it's hard to see how fans are actually being served. But the people behind this show are determined to avoid interesting choices, focusing their energy on empty appeals to nostalgia. Bingo. Yeah. I mean, that's all the show is. Remember when, like, I don't know, I guess I've given this speech a million times, but to me, what always set the original Star Wars trilogy apart is there was more to it than just lightsabers and, and stuff like that. There was There was an interesting human core to it. Um, mm -hmm. and even George Lucas, right? Like it, it, it was very much, there was a political core to it as well. He's, he right. talks about it. The, he, it's, it's a fun kids space fantasy, but there's actually subversive, interesting elements underneath it all, uh, political undertones, a, a real beating heart. There's, there's stuff that it's trying to say and stuff that it's trying to be. And all that these new Star Wars is trying to be is just, I don't know. Like, it, it, I, to me, I described it to you as like the meet and greet at Disneyland of, of like, it, right. to me, it feels like a Star Wars meet and greet, right? Where it's like, oh, hello, this is Cad Bane. Isn't he cool? Don't you want to take your picture with him? Now here comes Luke Skywalker with cute uh fucking Babu on his back. What's his name? <laughs> Don't you want you to take your picture? That's what it is. That's all it is. It's a meet and greet. Um, which would be fine if we were at Disneyland, but we're not. <laughs> so yeah, but more than this, nothing. I mean, honestly, I gotta say, I was pretty angry the way the episode ended and that choice that Luke gives the baby. I thought that was the single most cruel thing Luke has ever done as a character. And it absolutely makes no sense for that choice to even be a thing. And yet it's praised endlessly. Like, no one, when you talk about how great this episode was, very few people actually talk about the story. And when they do, 
they they're convinced genuinely that there is a story here, but I don't personally get it. And honestly, it's like I don't know. It's hilarious how you know as the week went on, there was this contingent of people on on film Twitter that were like, "Why are people getting so angry at Star Wars fans liking Star Wars?" And I want to push back against that because, like, I feel like why the why is how we began this conversation. Look at how they they treat it. It's like every week, this is the best episode of television there ever was or ever will be. It's the overreaction to this that is so enraging, but even more so just the blatant hypocrisy. Like the way that this Luke character was mishandled in this episode, how it was basically character assassination. This is everything they claimed The Last Jedi did but didn't do. But here, when it's presented to them in front of their face, they can't even recognize it. And from my perspective, if you can't see that, then I don't care about you. And you're not a voice who should be listened to. I just think it's funny. <laughs> I don't. I mean, part of it is funny, but it mostly is just upsetting. And I am terrified for what they have in store for us tonight. <sighs> even though I, I mean, I, don't know, I shouldn't even say I'm terrified because we know what it's going to be. Yeah. It just depends on the how they're going to actually do it. So enough of that. Shit, let's get on to this. So, um, the Academy Awards um, unveiled their nominations today. It's interesting because there has yet to be a single televised award show this entire season. But yet we, here we are, the Academy Award nominations on February the 8th. The actual Academy Awards will not take place until March 27th. So we're quite a bit away um, you know, usually we get the, the nominees, I think, at least a month out. This is a little over a month out, almost two months out, um, before the actual ceremony takes place. And um, this is how uh, the cookie crumbled, as it were. So I'm not going to go over all 20 whatever nominees. I'm only going to say that the nominees for Best Picture uh, and Best Director. And then I'm going to say which movies got the most nominations. And then from there, we can we can go with like what our takeaways were, mm -hmm. what surprised us, and that's how, how, how we're going to do it. If you want to look up all the nominations, feel free to just go on Film Twitter, and you'll find them all then and there. Um, so the nominees for Best Picture were Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, King Richard. By the way, I'm going to stop right there. That's a very poor start. All right, at least for me, <laughs> it's like man, like boom, boom, boom. That's like what f f four abysmal um, ones in a row. That it's like, well, this is how we're starting off the best picture list: Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, King Richard. Oh boy! Um, but then it picks up because uh, then you have Drive My Car, the Japanese film, Dune, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, yay! Uh, the Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. This is the first time since, I believe, 2010 that we have 10 nominees. Usually it's been 8 or 9, but they've they've since uh, rectified that, and now from this point going forward, unless they change it again, there will now for sure be 10 movies in there. And I'm very happy because I don't think Nightmare Alley would be in this list if it were just a 9, because Nightmare Alley had, had, has had... A very abysmal turnout 
the entirety of awards season, if you just look at those precursors, um, it's barely gotten anything. And so the fact that there are 10 nominees, that they had to pick 10 movies, I think it's to, um, it, it helped Nightmare Alley the most. So ultimately, what do I think about this list of, um, this, the, this list of films? I think really when it comes down to it, Peter, the only time you and I have been quite pleased and pleased is relative, but I would say maybe just kind of like we accept every movie that's on here. And generally speaking, this is a great list of films, uh, nominated for best picture. I think that's without there being any major groaners, I mean, or films that have no business being here. I think the only time you and I have felt that way was last year which was 2020's nominees, where it's like, honestly, I, I'm not angry at a single one of these. I, th- I feel like every film that was on that list had a right to be there. Um, now, that could be because there were hardly any films that came out in 2020, <laughs> and so there was more of a consensus about like what should be on this list. Yeah. But that being said, it was still relatively a good you know, crop of movies that got into all those categories, particularly with Best Picture. Um, and so what do we have this year? Well, I think we have a return to normal with how we usually feel like and where it's a mixed bag, kind of down the middle, because there are some genuinely great films that are in here and are deserving and are ha- we're happy to see here. At least I'm happy to see here. But then there are also the head scratchers because there are 10 movies, especially in 2021, which I feel and I think you feel the same way it was an exceptional year and there are so many other movies that I feel could have taken the place, particularly of movies like Belfast and Coda and Don't Look Up and King Richard, which, um, and honestly, frankly, even Power of the Dog, which are the kind of movies that are overly nominated here. They've overly nominated in the past and have over awarded to in the past the same kind of film. And really, there are people clearly, the, the Academy loves these movies, which is why they're here. There are feel good movies. They're standard. You could, you could even say they're safe for the most part. And that's kind of why they, as I grow older, they just become less and less interesting to me. Like, I don't think any of these movies are genuinely bad. I just think they're just very vanilla. And we've seen this exact same movie here every other year before and win every other year before. And it just reinforces certain stereotypes of like the taste that these people have. But then also it's like, it kind of it, it ha, it's a negative reinforcement on how a lot of people perceive or feel that movies should only aim to be feel good, and when most of your nominees are feel good, then it kind of reinforces that negative like perception of films. And like I love feel good movies. I love movies that make me feel good. That hey, that's not an alien concept. We all can relate to that. But to say that all film should be are movies that make you feel good is very straining and very limited and I think pretty toxic. That, that that doesn't suggest that I think that, you know, the opposite of feel-good films should have, like, priority here because, quite frankly, Power of the Dog is not a feel-good movie. No. It's gonna, it's seemingly gonna win Best Picture, but I don't, I don't want it to win Best Picture because I don't think it should. So I'm not saying the opposite either. Um, so I think half the movies here are what we've seen before. And you know what? Let me backtrack on one thing I said. Don't Look Up is the is the, is the one film that has no business being here. 
Don't Look Up is honestly a complete joke to me. You have not seen it. Have you? No. Okay. But we've explained before why we're not going to see that film. Yes, we I feel have. Like everything we've seen from how it's been received, I feel vindicates how we feel we're going to feel if we watch this movie. And we've said before, we're not watching this film out of, you know, out of concern for our mental health. Because this movie ultimately has nothing interesting to say. This movie has nothing, has no purpose, but to basically say what we already know. And that is, we're fucked. And this life is fucked. And collectively as a species, there's no consensus. And I mean, we don't need to because we've seen the last two years. Like, this isn't something that needed to be filmed. So the fact that it's done this well is just whatever. That's my take. I think, well, I think the point of the movie is we don't have to be fucked. I think the point of don't look up is that you should look up. (laughs) Um, But even then, I don't have, um, what's the word? Faith in institutions. Yeah. Put it that way. Like, um, we haven't really talked about this, but we Democrats have a super majority in California, right? Oh, they, they killed single-payer health care. And they killed single-payer health care in and California. And I can't, for no apparent reason. Well, we know why. Well, we know why, but I mean, for uh, for no obvious reason no obvious that they can reason. feed to their mm-hmm. friends in the media and then tell the rest of us. There's been really no official explanation, but we know the real reason is because their donors don't want single-payer health care because mm-hmm. it'll eliminate the insurance business and the insurance industry. And how dare they like think it's a bad thing for people to make money off people dying? Yeah. By the way, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but a few weeks back, I had a cousin that passed away from brain cancer because I didn't have the, his insurance couldn't um, clear his procedure in time for him to have possibly saved his life. And he was like 20. Yeah. Yeah. That's that particularly enraging and depressing. How, how do you have faith in any of this? With that kind of, with with that reality, because like, that is horrifying. That's evil. Yeah. Like to me, that is it evil. Is. But that's an evil that happens every day, and it's just, mm-hmm. man. Like, because we're California, right? Like, apparently, the communist center of the world. Yeah, if you th- if you read some outlets, they'll tell you that. Yeah. We're the communist center of the world, and we have super, super majorities of Democrats at all levels of government, and we have a, a governor that ran on Medicare on for single all. Pair. On single-payer. Yeah. Not Medicare for all, single-payer. And we can't do it. Like... Because, because, and this is what happens every single time, and I think it's also a microcosm of what's happening on the national level, too, is we've just had a Democratic presidency 
with a con- democratic congress replace an authoritarian right-wing government uh, in, the, in the Trump presidency and a Republican-controlled um, Senate and everything. They just replaced them with all of these promises of what they were going to do. And they get into power and they do nothing. And they're going to be replaced in this, in the, in this fall uh, with a Republican Congress and most likely a Republican presidency in 2024. And then, well, we'll see what happens then. But the point is there, that it's a microcosm of what happened here in California, what's happening in Washington because the Democrats have power. Yeah. But they do nothing with it. They do absolutely not. Right, like right now, Marianne Williamson said this beautifully the other day on the air that right now the president can cancel all student loan debt. He can basically, you know, decriminalize marijuana uh, and he can make Medicare for all an actual thing because of what's happening in the pandemic. It'll be challenged in the courts, but he can make it a thing through executive orders. There's a lot of things he can do on his own, but he won't do. He just won't, right? And and a lot of people will, will chalk that up to like, well, you know, it's the national stage. He has a slim majorities. You know, you have to deal with the blue dog Democrat, you know, all of that. So it's like, okay. A communist center of the world, California. Can you do anything? No. So then it's like, great. So like, so that really tells me that Washington, you're really just never going to be able to do anything then. Because if we can't do it here, how in the fuck are you people ever going to? There's no desire to. Yeah. There's absolutely no desire to actually fundamentally change anything. And that's kind of what's so depressing now. It's like it, it used to be that I thought at least we had a Democratic Party that fought for working people. We don't. We have a Democratic Party that refuses to fight anything. <coughs> and I think ultimately it's just sad because you put all that next to what the right is doing right now. The right wing just it, they don't rest. They, they don't stop. Every waking moment is to preserve their their ideology and, and and enforce it on other people's lives in every possible way they do. In the last two years, they've done everything from eliminate voting rights to outlaw abortion, um, to outlaw um, or to fund campaigns that spread misinformation about all kinds of anti-vax, anti-mask attitudes. And there, it's now even infected, even more so than before, public education by removing a, a huge list of books that were written by black people and gay people. And now even books that teach about the Nazis in certain um, in school systems. And now there are book burnings happening at certain parts of the country like the Nazis did. It's just hard right now to live in this like in 2022 in America and not be convinced that we're already we we've already fallen to what's about to you know befall the rest of us and that is the neo-nazi movement there were literal not even neo-nazis but just there was actually a nazi rally somewhere in florida that, that that's a thing that happened like mm-hmm. it's all happening again the biggest issue right now in Americans' minds is, is, and my parents talk about this every single day, it's inflation. Everything has gone up. And the president didn't cause this, 
but he's not talking about it every day and he's not doing anything to do to to resolve that or to at least convince people that he's trying to do anything about it. I know inflation is being used as a talking point by the right mm-hmm. to distract from other things and even the Democrats as well as this, but it's a real issue that I feel a lot of Americans would at least be receptive to hearing about if anyone would bother to talk to them about their issues because that's the most pressing thing to them because they feel it in their pocketbook every single day and yet that's coming that's not it's not a thing i mean people care about how they are affected tangibly every single day of their lives yeah right and i think the quickest way to help people tangibly is to like we've already said cancel student loan debt yeah. You know how many people would directly be affected in a positive light if you were to do something like that? Um and it wouldn't be everyone, right? But it would be mm-hmm. people could could hold something up and go like he helped me, right? Like yeah. in 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 the most black and white terms, he helped me in a big and bad way. Uh The single biggest accomplishment of this administration was a $1400 check a year ago. And that and, and they said two thousand dollars, and then when they won, they're like two thousand total. You already got yeah uh, six. This has happened too so. many times to be a. They're just liars. Jesus they're just liars, God. and they pretend they don't lie in the first place. And I'm just I'm not interested anymore. I, I'm 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 so done with it, and I, and I really really do. Um, I would be of the mind where I hope they lose and. And they they did they deserve to lose, but it just sucks that we live in a country that our only options are a corrupt, weak ass party or a Nazi party. Yeah, it, it's it's literally that. So you don't even have the the de- the ability for like complacency or just like you can't even tell them to go fuck themselves because it's like, well, it's this or literal fucking nazis right and seeing as i don't like nazis very much uh i guess we have to keep fighting for this or at least these people types of people um you know what also offends me about don't look up it's that i feel like a lot this was watched by a lot of people on netflix i still think like my a lot of people would watch that movie and feel good about themselves because that's not the world that we live in yet i think a lot of people legitimately still even though how over the top the film most likely is still wouldn't grasp that that's how bad things have gotten yeah i don't think people realize how close we are to just losing democracy in this country like completely like completely no. like just there are many people that are going to vote in this midterm election to vote out the democrats and vote on the republicans one because the democrats did nothing for them and two they did nothing for them on inflation thinking republicans will do something about inflation because they've been fed the narrative all their lives they're their business they're, owners right right but in reality nothing will be done about that um the rich will have more tax cuts and all of the time the right will use in their time in power is to strip away their rights even further. Unless you're white. White and rich. And straight. Yes. <laughs> A lot of caveats. Yeah. 
So that's why when you look at Don't Look Up, it's like, well, um, uh, and I think some people have even said that it does, which is weird because this is written, co-written by, well, not really co-written, but David Sirota's name is on it. And then Adam McKay, who's a pretty, who's a hard lefty. And I agree with his politics completely. Mm-hmm. But I think some some criticism of the movie has said that it both sides the situation. Um, maybe in the way that it both sides is that it says like Democrats are useless too, which is true. Which in that case, I would agree with the movie. I assume that's probably what it says. Yeah, like. They're just as useless. Well, maybe not just as useless, but they're still pretty fucking useless. Yeah, Joe Biden is a pretty weak-ass president. I don't think I've ever had a weaker president in my lifetime, that's for sure. No. Um, And honestly, I hope he loses. I hope he's humiliated publicly. I know it'll, it'll cost us more if he loses than he wins, but I, I legitimately... Just, I have so much hatred thrown in his direction for what he is letting happening to the rest of us. I hope he loses the midterms. I'll say that. Well, I can, I can, I can hope. Like, nah, forget it. I'm not gonna go there. Anyway, don't look up. I wouldn't include this on this on this list. Um, well, your thoughts on this list of nominees? Uh, it's not as bad as I thought it might be. Dune's on good. there. Uh Nightmare Alley's on there. There's uh there's some all around. There's some there's some good ones. Um that I'm glad made the cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, same goes I don't know if you've said it yet. I usually zone out when you read the nominations, but animated, I'm pretty happy we with haven't, all, I, all I only read the nominees for the movies. Too, okay. For the for best picture. We haven't gotten anywhere else. <sighs> Fine. We'll get to those um, in a minute. No, I'm just but, talking about like the, these 10 movies in particular. I mean, obviously, there's some I don't agree with, but like overall, it's not the worst list. No. It's pretty It's, it's not, pretty all right. It's pretty good. It's not the year where we had Green Book, Bohemian Rhapsody, and Black Panther, and a whole bunch of useless crap. Yeah. So there's some good ones in here, too. Director, that one was interesting, right? Because there was a notable snub. Denny Villeneuve was snubbed out of best director for inexplicable reasons. There were a lot of people today that were asking themselves if there's ever been a movie that had this many nominations and then just go on to miss best director. Dune got 10 nominations, including That's best picture. a lot of fucking nominations. It's a lot of nominations that it did not get for directing. And I'm, I'm, I myself am trying to figure out what, what the thinking was there, but here are the people that did get nominated, right? So you had Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza. He usually always gets in. He got in last time for a Phantom Thread. Uh, Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog. Uh, she's right winning now that. Is, she's winning that. In, yeah, in a cakewalk. Uh, Kenneth Branagh for Belfast. Um, and apparently he made history. Well, actually, they both did. Kenneth Branagh made history because he's now the first person to get nominated in like eight different categories um, in the Academy. Directing, writing, acting, producing, and then I guess also editing and other stuff. Makeup. Too. Yeah. <laughs> And then also Jane Campion is the first woman to be nominated a second time in the best directing category. That sucks. Yeah. I mean, not for her, but like. (laughs) That stat is depressing. Yeah. Is what you meant to say. Um, And then we also have 
Rasuke Hamaguchi, the Japanese director for Drive My Car. Every now and then they have th- this particular branch does like to give a nod to the international. Like last year we had Thomas Vinterberg, uh, who directed another round, and then other years we had Kavakatsky who directed Cold War. So they 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 do this every now and then, and Steven Spielberg uh, for West Side Story. Oh, that's um, another one. West Side Story got in. Yeah, that one was a surprise because it's it honestly it seemed kind of likely that West Side Story was going to severely underperform. If only because I like <laughs> because I like it and sometimes oftentimes if I love something it's it's, it's bashed. Doomed. It's doomed. Yeah, it's doomed. Um but it, yeah, uh Steven Spielberg is now I think the only person to be nominated for this uh, category in six different decades or in six consecutive decades. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, he is. And I think he is. He is now also. He is either now the most or the second most nominated for producer in the history of the Academy Awards for Best Picture. Wow. Well, so. Yeah, at 75 years old or 75 years young. It's yeah. a lot of nominations, a lot of love. And uh, there were a lot of thinking that people would that that Spielberg would be the one to miss in this category because he's won twice already, I believe. Yeah. For best director. Mm-hmm. And he's been nominated a bunch of times. And I feel like Spielberg kind of falls in that list of people like Hanks where like you're legendary, you've won before, maybe we don't feel the need to like bring you back because you've already been there and done that. Mm-hmm. But I was happy because I feel like this is his best directed movie in at least 10 years. Oh, so, yeah. For sure. This was definitely like an earned nomination, I feel. Like he directed the hell out of this movie. Fantastically directed, yeah. The problem, though, that is a bit of a bittersweet moment is I don't know who. Well, I, I, I would say I know who else, but like it, it meant that Denny got snubbed. Denny Villeneuve? And it's the weird thing, too, because he hit all the precursors. He was included in all the award shows and guilds. But then this year, I think the only the only thing I can think of for why he wasn't included was because some of the voters thought, well, we'll get him back in for Dune Part 2 or Dune Part 3. I think in their mind, it's like, it's a blockbuster. I would agree with you 100%. I think that's also part of it as well. Let's mm-hmm. be real here. But George Miller also got in here for directing a blockbuster. Yeah. That's Mad Max Fury Road. I think they like a well-deserved George Miller nomination too. more. <laughs> That's true. He's a, he's a staple name. That's true. He's like Spielberg. All of those things you're saying are correct. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Denny's been nominated here twice before. Uh for Arrival and then one other one. And then tonight, he also got nominated for producing and writing Dune. But not for directing. That is weird. So either there was a rationalization that they'll get him back next time, or it, it just was the luck of the draw this, when the ballots were submitted. This tells me, I mean, Dune 2, come on now. Guaranteed, <laughs> right? Like, get all these damn Oscars. Come on, I feel like the expectation, at least from my part, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that Dune 2 is going to be better than part one. For I sure. I mean, it kind of has to be. Yeah. It's it's most of the... um The... 
it's bigger, more action, more character stuff. Right. So it's it's the second and third act where that's where all the fun shit happens, right? <laughs> of any story. Yeah. So like the screenplay nomination is nice because again, for many decades, this was like the unadaptable Dune. Like, how do you bring that to the medium of of film and put that on the screen? But Denny did it, and so the the screenplay nomination is definitely well deserved. Directing, at, it would be, but it's not here. And I'm, I'm looking at the other nominees. I think Campion is well deserved. She, the well was great, direct. yeah, well, absolutely. Directed. Um, but I'm looking at Adam McKay. I'm sorry. Uh, wait, no, he's not in there. Sorry, wrong category. I'm looking at <laughs> uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. I think deserves to be in here because I think Licorice Pizza was a great movie, and I can't wait for you to see it because it is just the most joyous experience i've had all year so i'm happy he's in here but i'm looking at everything else and i can't i haven't seen hamaguchi's film yet because it's not available on on pvod drive my car but i can't wait to see it that's just surprising that this got nominated because there were uh it was a video i shared with you uh recently that a lot of voters didn't feel that didn't they couldn't get past the three-hour runtime to even begin watching it. So that was a surprise that it's even in here. They probably just heard. It's good. Okay. There it is. Yeah. I'm not watching it, but I'll vote for it. Yeah. You're right. It's Kenneth Branagh who I would take out in a heartbeat. Like, because here. But it's Kenneth. It's Kenneth Branagh. He's great. This is the best directed movie he's made in 10 years. But it still is not in a list of best directed movies this year. And I feel like... It's black and white, though. Belfast, overly, I would say, loved, but not surprisingly, it is the Academy. Yeah, I would take out Brandon for for Denny, but at the same time, you know whose name should be here? It's Guillermo del Toro. That's true. And he's not. So it was a highly competitive year. Um... And Nightmare Alley getting in for Best Picture was a legit surprise. I was honestly convinced it would get nothing as far as nominations were concerned. But it got four, I think. Um, which was very surprising. So yeah, that's where it is. As far as like picture and director, look, let's be real here. Power of the Dog got 12 nominations. Fucking 12 nominations. Um, it got in everywhere. It got in sound, which wasn't expected. It got it's four main leads in all the different categories. Well, actually, it got two actors for Best Supporting Actor with Cody Smith-McPhee and, and Jesse Plemons. Uh, it got Kirsten Dunst for Best Supporting Actress, and it got in Benedict Cumberbatch for Best Lead Actor. It's the only movie that got nominations in picture, directing, writing, editing, and acting. I don't see how it loses Best Picture. I just don't. I feel like this is over. Probably. And if it isn't... If it isn't, the only other thing that I... Belfast. (sighs) And either way, I don't care. Yeah, it's a boring race. It's very boring, because I don't care for either of the films, really, in the long run of it. And I just... Okay, well, great. I mean, not great, but whatever. Um, Dune did get 10 nominations. It got for Best Picture, Best Adapted Screenplay, uh, Visual Effects, which it will win. Cost and design, original score, 
film editing, makeup and hairstyling, cinematography, and production design. All very well deserved. And I think also, by the way, here, here's the thing with Dune. This is an example of... I'm, I'm trying to, like... Why is Dune here? Other than, I know that it's great. It's one of my favorite movies and it deserves to be here. But it's a blockbuster. And so this is an example of like Mad Max where every now and then a blockbuster like Mad Max or The Lord of the Rings Return of the King that it just gets in here for all for the craft work. And I have to think like, okay, but what what's the reasoning? Why do ultimately they're here because the Academy as a whole, they feel like, okay, they got the memo. This this one will allow we've been told that this is this is allowed and this is respected so we'll go ahead and allow this to be in our ceremony right um but it, i th- i feel like really denny denny's name is on this and a lot of people genuinely love this film that are cinephiles and i think that's why it's here and i think it it deserves to be in here but i f- also think like well this kind of is proof that you could nominate more movies like this if you wanted to. You just don't. Right? So, Wait, but that, that isn't to say, though, the end, like, the other what you're films trying were. to say is, why wasn't Spider-Man No Way Home? No, nominated? I'm not saying that because I'm very happy that it wasn't included anywhere. I mean, it didn't get in. Well, we'll get to that. But it didn't get in the best picture, as some people were, were saying. And I feel like that's um, good. Because I didn't have any right being in this conversation, even though a lot of people were like gas at that. But no, it, it had no business being here. Um, but uh, yeah, 10 nominations for Dune. Good for them. Um, Belfast and West Side Story each got seven nominations. Uh, King Richard got six. Uh, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car. And Nightmare Alley all got four nominations. Being the Ricardos, Coda, Encanto, Flea, Licorice Pizza, The Lost Daughter, and No Time to Die, and The Tragedy of Macbeth all got three nominations. Um, real quick, I forgot that uh, you and I watched The Tragedy of Macbeth. What did you think of that movie? <laughs> uh, I thought Denzel gave a great performance, and I think it's understandable for why he's nominated for Best Actor. Um, and I, as far as like um, its other nominations it got today were cinematography and production design, and those are well-deserved. I thought the film, quite frankly, was not for me because I just – I can't I, I can't take Shakespeare. And if you don't like Shakespeare, stay the hell away from this. I think it's a great film from a – it's wonderfully made from a crafts perspective and acting perspective, but – I can't get past the Shakespeare dialogue. I, I just couldn't get into it. It's a beautiful film. Gorgeous. Yeah. Unbelievably well made. Um, but you're right. If you're not into Shakespeare, I... <laughs> Don't bother. Yeah. Sorry. Um, I enjoyed it, for sure. I, I did yeah. enjoy it. And even if it felt like a foreign language... Um, Shakespeare tales are simple enough that you can basically make out what's going on for the most part. Yeah. 
my issue is you have to use context clues to figure it out because the dialogue will just leave you stranded like if you were on an island. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember this in English English class English class too. Look like look at the way I speak. Of course I don't know fucking Shakespeare. Um <laughs> But we would literally like break down lines and I remember going like, Well cl- okay, well let's take twenty minutes to figure out what these two lines mean. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well look, look at this word. It's a play on words of this. And then you go back to the first word in the sentence. And he's clearly, you know, put together. It's trying yeah. to imply. Th- and it's just like, fuck, dude. Just like, just. <laughs> like, especially when they're like angry and they're like reading. To me, reading it is the best medium. I agree. Because you can take your time and just be like, okay, mm-hmm. like, what is this? What's the emotion? What's going on here? But like, listen, just watching it happen, like they'll be whispering their lines and then scream and talk very fast, and it's like, well, fuck, I'm I'm lost. <laughs> very, yeah, very well made film. Though. I will agree with that, absolutely. But it's just there's just a barrier to that I can't get past. Um. So uh, ultimately, what what are my thoughts on this? Well, let me get to um. What my two favorite categories, and what I say by favorite, I think like they got all all of the people, all the movies that were in these two categories were perfect. That isn't to say that there were some that I would have added in here, but for what they chose, it was like wow. Now this is a this is a category, and um, the categories were cinematography and production design, and all and and the same five movies got into both of those. So this is where, again, so cinematography and production design, that's for those that are not aware of cinematography is how the movie looks, you know, just like how it looks, how it's like, um, how it was shot. And then also, I guess, you know, the, the colorization of it and, you know, all those choices go into the visualization of like what it looks like cinematography. And then production design is the space it was used in the context of the film, like the sets and everything. So. Just to break that down. Yeah. So the nominees were Nightmare Alley, West Side Story, Dune, Power of the Dog, and The Tragedy of Macbeth. And I feel from like a cinematography and production design standpoint, they were all definitely deserving of being there. Yeah. There are others that I would add in like The Green Knight, which was completely ignored all around. Insane. The Green Knight should have gotten in in both of these and visual effects, quite frankly. Yes. But yeah, that that movie was nowhere to be seen. Um Yeah. Um Last Duel got nothing. Jody Comer should have been on that list. It wasn't uh, Ben Affleck even. He wasn't on there. Um Nicolas Cage did not get in for best actor, which we'll get to him in a bit. Um, no, and again, Nightmare Alley should have had a much larger presence. I, I felt honestly that both Bradley Cooper and Kate Blanchett should have been considered. I would have liked to have seen Zegler or Mike Feist, uh, from West Side Story in here. Both of them were not here. Um, maybe one of the most egregious nubs is the song, um, Edgar's Prayer from Barb and Star, not getting into original song, not even considered. I know. <laughs> disgusting disgusting oh uh, yeah and then 
this this category particularly is kind of the most upsetting because it's like this is just um a category that has just all fallen victim to the worst tendencies of the academy and it happens to be the one category that actually welcomes the presence of big scale uh big budgeted films that people actually see and that is the best visual effects category because the nominees for this were dune which will win um and no time to die both of which i think have every right of being here yes um but then you also have free guy no what it was popular that's why right and that's the reason for why all of these were included here um but yeah free guy spider-man no way home which as i I just sent a tweet out to you uh before we went on the air right about um you know uh, and someone said this i love no way home but i really don't think it deserves an oscar for best visual effects when they are still making edits to the cgi as it's in theaters that is fair that's a good point (laughs) and then there's also shang chi and the legend of the ten rings which also sucked. That's pathetic. Uh, the ones that should have been in there were the Suicide Squad. It had fantastic yep. visuals. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, special effects. Specific. It's not visuals. Special effects. Right. It had fantastic special effects. Um, and Nawe, King Shark, and then also Starro. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that looked incredible. Re- really good CG. Really, really good. Um, again, this is uh, where... Well, maybe you would say makeup, but I would think maybe the Green Knight as well. No, for sure the Green Knight. I would definitely have put the Green Knight for visual effects because mm-hmm. it's visually stunning. And again, people seem to be confused about this. And I think also this branch of the Academy also confuse, confuses best visual effects for most visual effects. And when people think visual effects, they think CGI. Visual effects do not just mean CGI. Yeah. You know, they mean like all the, like Shape of Water, honestly, should have gotten the Best Visual Effects nomination uh, a couple years back because of how it used to make the film look visually stunning. So The Green Knight did have VFX, but it was lighter with VFX because it had a smaller budget than a lot of these other films. And so you don't, because you're an overly CGI heavy movie does not mean you automatically that that that's the, the the grading curve for how we like you know include you or don't include you so yeah green knight should have definitely been included in this like i had a list of movies like yeah, the green knight should have been here um suicide squad the suicide squad should have been here mm-hmm. the matrix resurrections honestly over spider-man and over shang chi they were better i think yeah eternals clearly over also a lot better. of these yeah because and look at this, this, like look at those scenes with Arishem, especially just the, or even the the uh, the Tiamat, the celestial that's coming out of the earth, like insane. How that's just like really, and then also Godzilla versus Kong. Yeah, that whole of third act, like how they were able to make that her- the whole third act look so amazing as it was. It's so many movies this year that had great VFX, and what we get as far as the free guy, Shang Chi, yeah, pretty fucking lame. This is on the level of like Black Panther, um, not that, 
Is this, wait, did Black Panther win that year? No, I think they got um No, it was somebody else. It wasn't Black Panther, but it was nominated. Yeah, but I think they they got costume. That's all I remember. Yeah. And they got score too. Mhm. And other stuff. Um the, yeah, this this is just so depressing to me because like there were there were better films quality, but also as far as the VFX are concerned that honestly it should have been here and everything. Um by the way, can I just say this to make a point? Because um, we talked a little bit about this last week uh, about the um, Eternals VFX artist. But I feel like, um, look, people especially have a hard time with the narrative that all Marvel movies feel the same and look the same. And a lot of people don't believe that. And honestly, for myself, I didn't buy into that until a few years ago. But I now have a completely flippy direction. And I feel like that point has now been definitively proven without a doubt because the VFX supervisor for Eternals, who has done several and many of the movies for MCU, for the MCU, basically just admitted, like right now, look at this quote about uh, Eternals. It was a new approach to filmmaking from my experience with the number of MCU films that I've done, which is location-based. This is the new the new stuff, which is location-based and using natural light, shooting at the end of the day with wide-angle lenses, long takes, particular rigs. Um, so just a whole lot of new stuff, a whole lot of the stuff that we, you know, the tools and tricks that we've assembled over the years to do our work, to make our work sort of fit in. We had to throw all that stuff out and just come up with an with a whole new visual language to match what Chloe was bringing. Basically saying, yeah, we basically do the exact same, as he says, tools and tricks with every single film, except this one time where the director actually asked us to do something new and different. And it's hilarious that one time, and uh, it's... Two, not, two Marvel movies, I think, for the first time were nominated for Best Visual Effects. Well, not for the first time, but two Marvel movies got for Visual Effects, and it wasn't this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, animated feature. Uh, Encanto did very well, and it's definitely winning that because everyone's watching that movie. Everyone is it's just a, a sensation. But it also wasn't the only one, and I wanted to ask you this because you weren't on that show, that particular episode. What was your reaction to Luca... Uh, Nielsen found that it was the most streamed film of 2021. Good for the Italians. <laughs> okay. All right. So yeah, uh, Luca was the most streamed movie of the year, and Spider-Man: No Way Home clearly was the highest-grossing film of the year with 1.8 billion dollars. Fucking crazy. So there's that. Anything else? Uh, uh, Mitchell's versus the machines. We didn't even include them. You know what? I'm happy they didn't get snubbed. Yeah. And in all honesty, that should win. But it's not going to. It's not going to. As long as Encanto beats Luca. And Mitchell's. Well, I didn't mention that part. It would be interesting if Flea won. Wouldn't it? It's never going to happen, yeah. but that would be. 
Well, it maybe. is going to win. It could. It could win one of two other categories because it's also nominated for international film. But you know, it's not going to win international film because Drive My Car is going to win. That's going to win international. It could. I and could win documentary. It could very well win documentary. But you know what happened was this was one of the few years where they didn't intentionally snub the front runner for documentary. And from what I'm aware of, that was Summer of Soul. So it could be down between Summer of Soul and Flea. So. The fact that Flea got in three different categories speaks to a certain kind of strength. Yeah. So it could be down to Flea and Encanto. Who knows? Imagine how mad people would be. If Encanto loses? Yeah. It's happened before. But it's always been funny. So, I mean, I think it's pretty ridiculous how We Don't Talk About Bruno was just not in this. uh, Because Disney didn't submit the song. They did. I, they did not expect it to blow up, and blow up it did. Yeah, even in their faces. Remember when you tried saying it wasn't a good song? When you tried saying it, yeah, I remember when that. When you did, and I defended it right here. You weren't defending shit. Yes, the only I that was. Anything was Alexis Moreno. I was. Def- I we were in this exact same position. You were calling the music mid. And I was saying, like, uh, fucking... I hate, I hate that expression, mid. Right? It's people. so funny. I hate... <laughs> I hate that... Ex- I hate. Don't that worry. Anytime I use it, it's because it's ironically. And if you don't... And you won't be able to, to tell if I'm lying or not. Um, <laughs> I said, as I do with all musicals, if I come out initially like underwhelmed with the music i and i said this to you that same night just give it a couple of weeks and i'll change my tune because that always happens and there are also musicals where i feel like i love the music much more than i do the actual film like in the heights and mary poppins returns um like yeah like i i'm a sucker for music and like those are examples of like movies where like have issues and I like, but I love the music much more than I like than I like the movie. Um, with Encanto, that's not in this category, and I feel like um, it's been happening. Encanto, I've grown so much more. Like I, when I walked out of that film, I was very much just kind of like that was good. You're like, but it, I don't really mid. care. Yeah, well, I don't care much of anything. But I have now seen it like I think two or three more times since, and I've listened to the music and everything, and it's just it is phenomenal one of the best animated movies that disney has made um and i was wrong um at least i feel like i've i've changed my mind completely on it the same way that i've done with um eternals so it's it's you know what's interesting about both those movies is both of those the connection that they have is alexis was the first one that was like overly enthusiastic and passionate about both of them and she dragged me to her side and they both start, and they both of their titles start with the letter E, and they both came out in November. <laughs> yes. What happened that month? Yes, and, and they're both, and they both have the Disney connection. And I defended them as well. <laughs> Don't try and leave me out of that equation. You know what? You're right. You defended them as well initially, but to a far lesser extent than Alexis Moreno. Alexis was gung-ho about yeah, both of those films sure. out of the gate. For sure. But I feel it was my je ne sais quoi. 
<laughs> that helped uh really really push the films in in your direction so you're saying uh, i don't i don't like the implications that that it would okay anyway um but you know what another connection is i have been moved to kind of loving those films even more than i did um because of both you and moreno but another another connection is Kyle does not care for either of them. That's true. That's, That's weird. True. All right. So, Peter, uh, let's go ahead and get it to the review for Tick, Tick, Boom. Uh, Peter, what is the letterbox description here? Tick, Tick, Boom. Directed by Lynn Manuel Miranda. How much time do we have to do something great? On the cusp of his 30th birthday, a promising young theater composer navigates love, friendship, and the pressure to create something great before time <laughs> runs out. <laughs> oh, God. Starring Andrew Garfield, Alexandra Ship. Robin de Jesus, Vanessa, Hudgens, Joshua Henry, Jonathan Mark, MJ Rodriguez, and you know, a bunch of other people. Produced by Brian Grazer. Is that burb exactly how you felt about this movie? Kinda, yeah. Yeah, okay, let's let's get a couple of things straightened out, as I teased in last week's show. Every time Peter and I review a musical, there's always a divergent a divergence. Uh, for seemingly something that I I always try to anticipate but can never actually get there. So I'm going to try my best again to predict what that would be and probably be wrong here. Um, but it has been, I guess if you want to count Encanto, that is a musical film, but it's primarily in the animation field. So um, Encanto is also a rare thing because like, you and I hardly agree not hardly, but it is rare when we completely agree on a musical and then also on animated film. Like, we have very polarizing thoughts on any number of those kind of movies. And so, this is the kind of genre where we barely ever see eye to eye on. Um, I mean, as far as passion is concerned, I think there, are, like with West Side Story, we both agreed it was great, but clearly I loved it and clearly the subject matter kept you at an arm's length, if not more so. Uh, check out our review uh, of West Side Story from a month back. Um, but here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to say all the stuff that I liked about this first, and I'm going to ask you to be patient because usually I'm going to forget what other things I wanted to say if you go off on a tangent, which you will. So let me let me see if I can remember. So I saw this late November. It's been months now. Shit. God. Um, this is not a perfect film. Uh, I wouldn't say it is outstanding to the point where it's in my top 10 of the year, but I think it's definitely solidly in my top 20 so far. I definitely responded to this film for a reason that I think you didn't respond to it. 
Um, we're very different people in terms of how we view time, in terms of how we view age, especially if we uh, consider it to be an existential crisis of sorts. Um, and so I'm going to assume that's a dividing line between you and I. And that's very much a, the central theme of this movie, basically, or one of the central themes of this film. And a lot of the songs and the subject matter are definitely devoted uh, to fleshing that out and the existential crisis that Jonathan Larson, a real individual uh, that Andrew Garfield is portraying, was going through in this period of his life, especially with him, you know, about to turn 30 years old. And our age group is going to get ready to, to pass that milestone in a couple of years from now. And so I can definitely speak uh, your from, age group. from our age group. Your. Kyle and I uh, very much responded to the material in this film because that's an age that is slowly, or I should say quickly, creeping up on us. You're not that kind of person. I mean, you're the same age as we are, but you don't well, definitely... You don't relate to this kind of stuff, so I'm. I had already <laughs> assumed going in that this wasn't going to work with you, and it may even annoy you. But we'll see how you feel about that. Uh, but with me, I ate it up basically. Um, this is a really good debut for Lin Manuel, uh, as far as how it was directed. I know nothing of Jonathan Larson before this. I guess I I heard of a musical called Rent, but I've not seen it or heard any any of the music out of it. Um, but this is an adaptation of the one he, the the Broadway musical he did he wrote before um, uh, Rent, and this is Tick Tick Boom. Um, and I really loved Andrew Garfield in this movie. I think he, and I've been saying this for a long time uh, for the last few few weeks. He's a tremendous actor. I, I, I the only performance I did not care of his. And that had more to do with the characterization and the writing was his Spider-Man movies. Uh But that's the only time I've not enjoyed a performance of his. Um, I love how no one brought up how in No Way Home, that was basically a different iteration of the character than he was in those movies. Besides us. He really was. (laughs) He really was. Um, Yeah. That was really weird. Um, But I loved him in... Oh, God, it was shattered by his performance in silence uh and he was beautiful in hacksaw ridge and amazing in the social network he even did um in the late 2000s i think um he also was a guest appearance on doctor who in uh season three which would have been in 2008 i think really uh yeah yeah he is brit so of course he would be he's allowed to be He's an institution. I mean, Doctor Who is an institution, so he would be on there. Uh, no, I, I love Andrew Garfield, and I also just love the love that he's getting. And I would be so unbelievably thrilled if, by some unforeseen miracle, he ends up getting an Oscar for this performance, because I think he gave it his all. Like, you just feel the the passion, the acting, and, oh, God, I didn't even know he could sing. And he's terrific, too. And that counts um, in my book when <laughs> you actually sing, unlike Rami Malek that just lip synced to um, Freddie Mercury. Honestly, half that Oscar really was because Freddie Mercury was a great singer uh, that Rami Malek won. Um, Robin de Jesus, who plays um, his friend here, is also pretty great. At one point, he was being looked at for a nomination for Best Supporting Actor, but that 
had since died down. And also, surprisingly, who I have not seen in ages, Vanessa Hudgens was in this. And I had forgotten what an amazing singer she is. She's got a great vocal ability on her. Um, yeah, I do. I, I feel like if, and I'm not, by the way, this crowd, <laughs> but I feel like if you're not like a theater kid, this may be a bit trying. I'm not a theater <laughs> kid because I never was in theater. Um, and I, there are some tendencies that are exhibited here by the character um, of Johnny Larson that are very much unappealing, unattractive, and kind of a shithead, which he is to a large extent of it. And I feel like I wouldn't say it falls into the trap that a lot of films like this does, like with King Richard, where it just absolves the lead character of all of their misgivings um, because of this here or that there. I think there is some sort of like um, atonement and then consequence through it, but we'll get to all of that. Um, I really like this movie. And what I love about it, and I guess, yeah, I would I would put this in the same categories in the Heights and Encanto, not Encanto, excuse me, and Mary Poppins Returns, where I love the music more than I love the movie itself. And the music, of course, is not Lin-Manuel's. This is Jonathan Larson's actual work yes. um, from many, many years ago. And so it is a, it's, a, it's a style of um, late, not, even though it's early, but I guess late 90s, early 2000s pop rock, which of oh, course God, yes. is so yes. overly like nostalgic for that sound lately. So it like, I ate that up entirely. Um, so that's my review. And now, ladies and gentlemen, without any further ado, here is Peter Martinez. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's the deal. Uh, effort. Real quick, yeah. can I ask you uh, this question? Yeah, I, yeah, go I, ahead, go ahead. On the music, because I feel like uh, as as rarely as we agree on um, musical films themselves, I think we agree even less as far as like our, what we feel makes a good song or not. Because um, I love the music in In the Heights and you did not like it at all. Did you like the music? Not the movie, but the music in Frozen 2. In Frozen 2? Yeah, the music, the songs. Did you like the songs? I, I, do you know any? Did you? Did any I of them stand even out to you? I think I remember the music. Okay, then that answers that question. So there it is. We agree far less on, on taste in music, even less than we do on film. So just wanted to make it crystal clear to people who are listening. Yeah. So what I, also, West Side Story is amazing. Go watch that movie. So what I was about to say before I was so rudely interrupted was <laughs> Lynn has a very <laughs> particular <laughs> character that I forget that also, he is obsessed with. That should have been the, all, the other asterisk, yes. too, is you have... Uh, Rather interesting and complicated relationship with anything involving Lin-Manuel Miranda. Well, he has a a very specific character that he is obsessed with. And I I dare say it's it's like the, um, uh, the the Mary Stew of, uh, (laughs) of characters. 
Oh God! Yes, I'm throwing it out there only because I think it's funny. But it's it's like this this go getter that has a dream of being the best there is. And I already and, see it. And yeah, so Alexander. Yeah, Alexander Hamilton, Anthony Ramos's character Usnavi uh-huh. in In the Heights, and then Jonathan Larson's character here, or Jonathan Larson in Tick Tick Boom. It's, Off the bat, I already see it. It's the okay. same fucking yeah. character. Yeah, he has a, a, a specific obsession with this type of character, one which I I don't know. It just doesn't. It's whatever to me. Sure, this type, it, like he's so fascinated by him that type of character, but he also doesn't do anything interesting with that type of character. The last film, it's the same thing every time. It's the last film that I saw do anything interesting with that type of character was fucking Whiplash. Um. Oh yeah, yeah, y- yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- that actually explored like that kind of you know the psychology and 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 that kind of stuff. And and even though that's a little bit darker, I think you can still have more positive lighted mm-hmm. films that actually do anything interesting. I don't think he does anything interesting. It's just celebrating like, wow, this character's the best. You know, because he has a dream and he because he has for a it. dream. Yeah, and he's trying to achieve that dream, and like yeah. that's it. Like that's literally it, and that's who he is. Yeah, but it's annoying, and I know why people find him annoying because <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, I guess you can say you can't argue with the results as far as achieving said dream, which again, I really enjoy a lot of his work. Um, the only thing he has left to win is an Oscar to be a P-got. He got the Pulitzer, the Grammy, the uh, Tony, and an Emmy. But he, he can never be an EGOT? He, you know, um, if he wins the Oscar, he will be both an EGOT and an even more exclusive um, club is P-got. Holy P-got shit. is for, for the Pulitzer. Wow. Which he's already won, yeah. Yeah, you can't argue with the results. Yeah, you cannot argue with the results. But again, that, that I don't want to do a King Richard mentality here because people would also say the exact same shit about the abuse that you know yeah. um, the Will Smith character inflicted on his daughters. Even though you like people, people will want to say like, "Well, you can't argue with the results, can you?" No, you can't. But that also means we shouldn't have a discussion about his methods. So yeah, and here it's not a discussion on the methods. It's just it's it's. His characters can be fucking annoying. <laughs> um, the downsides are much, much, much less, but it, it's it's something. Um, and you- I'm gonna say though, uh-huh. I, 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 and maybe this is where you and I differ. Mm-hmm. I was far less. Well, at the same time, they all do have the same tendencies to be annoying in the, in the exact same way too. But maybe I, I will say because I do think Garfield did a great job. I wouldn't think he was in the same field as annoying as of definitely was Navi or even more so Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> I'm still, I can't get over damn that song about the, the, the person he slept with and like, yeah, <laughs> that's the thing. All his characters have to be like perfect, right? They're just the, the greatest person ever known. They're just trying to achieve their dream, you know, like, and and you could tell like every it's it, in his mind it's like oh my god that's me i'm just such a such a great guy i'm just trying to achieve my dream you know and it's i don't know it, it's a, just a little i don't care too much about those stories especially when there's nothing to it right there's no extra layer um it's just that what you see is what you get yeah like that's it 
and I know it's based off a real guy. Um, he's most notable for the musical Rent. Have you ever seen Rent? No. I have. It sucks. <laughs> Nettie said the exact yeah, same I thing. I fucking hate it. <laughs> it's fucking terrible. And it's filled with shitty people. Oh, okay. And I hate it. And you know what else? I hate the music. I hate the music. I can't speak to it, but okay. And it's funny. When I started watching this film, (laughs) I didn't know that it was him. But the second the first song came on, I was like, that Uh sounds so familiar. Oh, no. And by the time the second song came on, I'm like, this sounds like it's like Rent. Like, like it's, and I'm like, oh my god, that's the fucking guy. It's the same songs. So, suffice to say. <laughs> you hate this. And you hate the music. Oh my god. I love the music. I, and Tick, Tick, Boom. I, I loved all the songs. To be fair, there's a couple of uh, good songs in, in Rent. Uh, it, it has that one song, uh. It's like 5,000 minutes. How do yeah. you measure? measure seasons of love, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Seasons, seasons uh-huh. of life. Yeah. Uh, but the, the rest of it is just me no likey. Uh, and Not your cup of tea. The same here. Yeah. <laughs> me no likey. And, you know, you have the great performance by uh, Andrew Garfield. Andrew Garfield. Right. But really, the majority of the story is, I'm just this great guy, and I'm just trying to achieve my dream, and oh my gosh, you know, I'm so close, yet so mm-hmm. far, and da, 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 da. Like, that's the whole, that's it. That's all it is. That's it. Mm-hmm. And then it's the music. Yes. Which I'm not crazy about. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's actually- And that's, to, to, uh-huh. look, to be fair- there's nothing worse. You're watching a musical and none of the songs are doing it for you. Yeah. Yeah, that that's sure. That is the worst. Um but the directing isn't bad. I actually thought, especially for his first uh directorial debut, uh pretty good, right? As far as yeah. directing goes. And of course the performance is pretty darn good as well, right? Mm-hmm. So for me it's like all that stuff is good. But the movie itself just doesn't appeal to me, right? And then right. remember how mm-hmm. I told you how, like, um, I had an epiphany about how uh, music theater nerds are, like, the ultimate fucking nerds? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> this movie. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, I'm not sure how much of, how much, I don't know, value that epiphany has, because I think it it's pretty evident that's at least how i've what i've uh found over the years to be the case i didn't film nerds i didn't ban nerds but it's the theater nerds that are pretty 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 um well you know because they all about that life and the cliches seem to be pretty accurate from what i've seen it's um it's fucking more than accurate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, it, it's not that it's a bad film, 
Mm-hmm. I don't. I would never say it's a bad film. It's very much a not for me film, though. Right. Um, a lot of it I found annoying. Yeah, the movie to me is mostly just annoying. <laughs> so if I, that's perfectly fair. Um, there have been films that way that um that I've seen that were if it's not for you if it doesn't connect then that's that's all the explanation you need um am i to understand the only musical you liked in 2021 was encanto i enjoyed west side story okay i like the music i like beautiful film like i said it's it's just uh-huh. once you get towards the third act yeah. characters make it loses decisions you completely. that piss me off right because again like we said fucking shakespeare <laughs> yeah yeah um but i mean there's so much of west side story i love them i like i said i told you the coming to america sequence so good right like amazing uh or it's not coming to america but it's uh that's a movie. Yeah. The America sequence. America. It's just America. Yeah, no, no, no. Really good. Yeah, but you're right. I, there's not... There really isn't much more to say. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, but it, it's one of those things like, yeah, if, if you like it, I get it. Yeah. I do. It's just, I don't know. I, it's not built for me <laughs> and that is a okay. That's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to stop it here and save pig or do you want to? Yeah. Do stop the, it. Yeah. All right then. Well, you know what guys, we're going to go ahead and save pig for next week. Cause well, you know, we got things to do and we, we have to uh, get ready for our coverage of uh, the next episode of Boba Fett. So of course that's going to live reaction. Jesus Christ. That's going to kill us. Anyway, thank you all for listening to this episode. Um, We'll have much more content next time with all the movies and more so uh, under our spotlight. Also, uh, check out um, the new podcast with Alexis Moreno, Kyle Lara, Peter Martinez, and David Francisco. It's a book club. Harry Potter. They're reading, Mr. and they're talking about it. Mr. Alexis was invited, and he gave it a flat no. Um, I was so graciously invited uh, to participate in the program, but I ever so um, politely declined. Because, uh, quite frankly, I have no interest in Harry Potter, and even less interest in reading. Um, what I am interested in is watching movies and TV. Um, but... I've never cared about Harry Potter, quite frankly. I enjoy the movies, and that's it. I love the Wizarding World experience and uh, Universal, and the uh, Dark Ride was one of the best uh, theme park attractions ever created. Uh, So from that perspective, I enjoyed it. But Harry Potter is just... um, It's a passion all of them have a lot of commonality with, and a lot of history, especially with. I do not share that history. So, um, nor do I care to partake in it. So I <laughs> go ahead. Uh, I've gone ahead and just like, um, removed myself from 
that discussion. But uh, yeah, go ahead and check that out when you can. And at some point, Fantasy Fair is going to have their Encanto review. We're just waiting and waiting for it. I, 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 it's hilarious because um, I just picked up the Blu-ray today. And Fantasy Fair has still not had a review on Encanto. It hit theaters, had its debut on, on Disney+. Plus. It's on Blu-ray defiant. now. I already know one day he's going to try and bring it back. And that, and in that day, I'm going to say, no, you cannot bring it back. Alexis Moreno will say, no, we cannot bring it back until we have the review. He's already shown in the past that pressure works. Yes. Like he, he folded on, on uh, internals. <laughs> he did. Folded like a wet blanket. <laughs> so, yeah. Um... Check all of that out and all of our other sounds here on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you listen to us. We'll see you next time, everybody. Bye-bye.